0: Love Talk Radio.
1: talk about Cloud Boot Jar today, and we got to talk about Elizabeth Warren. Uh, They both officially launched their campaigns. I'm going to struggle, dude. I don't know which. It's a tie in my head between Cory Booker, Howard Schitts, and uh, Amy Cloud Boot Jar as to who I'm going to make fun of the most. (laughs) Um, They all are just fucking welcoming it with open arms. (laughs) They cannot wait for me to dunk on them all day and night. So I'm going to lead in a second with uh, some clips from Elizabeth Warren's launch. Then we'll talk about Cloud Blue Jar. Then um, the propaganda about Venezuela now is just it has hit levels I thought were impossible. I mean, it really is stunning. They got back together the old neocon band that uh, destroyed Latin America during the Cold War, and um, they're uh, dusting off all the old tricks. And then I got a bunch of stories about AOC sitting down with Chuck Todd and really just uh, doing a master class on um, what it means to be on the left and who's electable and all this fun stuff. So today's show is a doozy. It'll be a good un. So don't miss a minute of it okay let's uh let's start with Elizabeth Warren and I got I got a video here for you. It's a little bit long, but I think it's worth it. I could have clipped out any of a number of different uh, spots in her speech, but I went with this like pretty significant chunk in the middle because I think she does a great job with this. So anyway, let's get started. <clears throat> Elizabeth Warren officially launched her 2020 campaign, and um, in her speech here, she hammered away on economically populist themes. So let's listen, and then we'll come back, and I'll break it down.
2: But But over the course of a generation, the rules of our economy have gotten rigged so far in favor of the rich and powerful, that everyone else is at risk of being left behind. Listen to this, in the 1940s, 90% of all kids were destined to do better than their parents. For the 1980s, the odds have slipped to 50-50. And now, we could be the first generation in American history where more kids do worse than their parents. And meanwhile, the rich and powerful seem to break the rules and pay no price. No matter what they do, they grow richer and more powerful. Bailouts for bankers that cheat, tax cuts for companies that scam, subsidies for corporations that pollute. That's what a rigged system looks like. Too little accountability for the rich, too little opportunity for everyone else. Now, now, when I talk about this, some rich guys scream class warfare. Well, let me tell you something. These same rich guys have been waging class warfare against hardworking people for decades. I say it's time to fight back. To protect their economic their advantages, the rich and powerful have rigged our political systems as well. They fought off and bullied politicians in both parties to make sure that Washington is always on their side. Some of them have even tried to buy their way into public office. So today, our government works just great, great for oil companies, defense contractors, great for private prisons, great for Wall Street banks and hedge funds. It's just not working for anyone else. Now, we all know the Trump administration is the most corrupt in living memory. But even after Trump is gone, it won't do just to do a better job of running a broken system. We need to take power in Washington away from the wealthy and well-connected and put it back in the hands of the people where it belongs. Right now, giant corporations in America have too much power, and they just roll right over everyone else. We need to put power back in the hands of workers. Make it quick and easy to join a union. Unions built America's middle class. Unions will rebuild America's middle class. and make American companies accountable for their actions. Raise wages by putting workers in those corporate boardrooms where the real decisions are made. Break up monopolies when they choke off competition. Take on Wall Street banks so that the big banks can never again threaten the security of our economy. when giant corporations and their leaders cheat their customers, stomp out their competitors, and rob their workers, let's prosecute them. You know, and one more thing. I am tired of hearing that we can't afford to make real investments in childcare, college, and Medicare for all.
1: gotta keep it real, dude. Um, She gave a great speech. She really did. There was a lot of policy substance in her speech. Um, So I watched the whole thing. You only saw a little snippet there. You know, there, there are hints of possibly themes that I think would undermine her chances and make it a lot more difficult for her to win, but... The bulk of the speech was Elizabeth Warren being really wonky and talking about, you know, her wheelhouse, which is Wall Street regulation, um, the economy in general, and income inequality. And, you know, you heard – there's a little piece you heard there about corruption, and she did propose a a really powerful uh, anti-corruption bill, which she deserves a a lot of credit for. Um, So, you know, I said this before, I'll say it again. If Elizabeth Warren – tells her shitty, overpaid centrist advisors to fuck off, and she just goes with her instincts, she is going to be a force to be reckoned with. Um, But, you know, there's plenty of indication that she's not going to do that, and she's going to listen to her strategists, and they're going to tank her campaign. I need you guys to understand something. Democratic strategists in Washington, D.C. are uh, the least effectual people in the world. Like, They're the worst. I've never seen, you know, a category of people, a profession where everybody is so consistently dead wrong, yet they keep getting hired. A lot of people who are being hired by uh, many of the Democratic candidates for 2020 are, you know, leftovers from Hillary Clinton's campaign. And Hillary Clinton literally ran the worst campaign in modern American history. I don't even think it's close. I mean, you lost to a buffoon of a human being a reality show clown who got caught on tape saying, grabbing him by the pussy, and was released a few weeks before, or like a week or so before the election, and you still couldn't win. I mean, just everything Hillary Clinton's campaign did was dead wrong. But understand that the conventional wisdom in Washington, D.C. is that, no, no, the problem, if anything, in Hillary's campaign isn't that she was too centrist and too boring. The problem is that she wasn't centrist enough. She wasn't boring enough. So they still, to this day, scoff at lefties, even though you know, the track record of the centrists is, is abysmal and they've gotten destroyed and wiped out, lost 1,000 seats under Obama and under, uh, and under uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. And they don't understand that it's this populist left insurgency, Justice Democrats, uh, DSA, um, our revolution, so on and so forth, that this is what really led to the groundswell and the giant turnout in the last election. So they're still lost and Elizabeth Warren has been in Washington a little bit too long where she feels like, oh my God, I gotta listen to them, my instincts aren't great. And the best evidence of that is when she was asked on, uh, I think it was either MSNBC or CNN, after we had learned that the primary was effectively rigged against Bernie Sanders, um, she was asked about that like the same day, and here's what her answer was. Hey Liz, was the primary rigged against Bernie Sanders? Yes. That was her answer. (laughs) So I did a segment like, okay, yeah, she nailed it. She's right and this this shows you her instincts are actually very populist and and not part of the DC uh, conventional bubble wisdom. But then cut to a few days later and she was basically doing an apology tour where she's like, "Well, did I say rigged. What I meant to say was what had happened was the sun was in my eyes and the tide came in instead of went out and I was,
0: "Maybe
1: not rigged." And that's Elizabeth Warren right there. So Elizabeth Warren you know, she got a lot of shit, I think rightfully so, when she didn't endorse Bernie in the the 2016 primary. And because everybody was saying to her, you know your politics are much more aligned with Bernie Sanders than with Hillary Clinton. So what are you doing? Why are you playing politics? Well, there's an answer for that. The answer is everybody was convinced, especially in Washington, D.C., there's no way this old socialist Jew, Bernie Sanders, is going to beat Hillary Clinton, so... Basically, if you come out and endorse Bernie Sanders, you're shooting yourself in the foot for having any sway in, in the guaranteed next administration, which is the Hillary Clinton administration. Elizabeth Warren still wanted to have some sway over Hillary's administration, so she's like, I'm not going to shoot myself in the foot and endorse the guy who I know is going to lose, so I'm just going to you know, lay back, not endorse anybody, and then when the time comes, I'll pretend to be all enthusiastic about Hillary Clinton when, it, when the primary's over. So that's what she did. But the problem with that, Liz, is that you play politics, and everybody sees through you. Everybody knows you philosophically agree much more with Bernie, so you're playing politics. This was Machiavellian nonsense behind the scenes to um, not endorse Bernie. So people got mad at you, and they were right to get mad at you. Now, I get her, her reasoning as to why she did what she did, but understand it's still, a, it's still the exact same thing about politicians that people hate about politicians, which is we know that when you shut that door... You're scheming, and you're plotting, and you're not being honest and upfront and wearing everything on your sleeve. And that also, by the way, is why Bernie Sanders is so, and why he's so beloved, is that everybody knows that when you close the door and you're standing there with Bernie Sanders, there's a 99.9% chance he's saying the same shit he said when he was out there on a stage in front of 70,000 people. So, I mean, that's big. That's big. But listen, uh, Elizabeth Warren, I, I don't agree with people who want to like, write her off as a complete corporatist, because that's just not true. She's just not. I mean, I think it's fair to say she has one foot in the establishment camp, one foot in the lefty camp. Um, But I do think that her instincts and where her heart lies, and that's an important point. Some people might scoff at that and say it's goofy. It's really not. Where her heart lies is much more with the Bernie Sanders philosophy, with an FDR philosophy. She's definitely um, a reformer. She's definitely leaning in a social democratic direction. And she's not just, you know, doing a little song and dance. Like, I think somebody like um, Kirsten Gillibrand, for example, Cory Booker, like, they're, they're co-opting the language of the left, and they have 0% commitment to that ideology. Best case scenario, like, 15% commitment to that philosophy. Whereas Elizabeth Warren, I think it's a genuine, like, 75% commitment to that philosophy. So um, I don't put her in the same category as the establishment Democrats, but you also don't put her with the real deal, Holyfield, which is Bernie Sanders, because if she really was the kind of person who was with Bernie Sanders, she would tell her strategist to fuck off more often. <laughs> and she would go with her instincts, which are a lot more populist than the, the elitist in D.C. But um, it's possible that she's a force to be reckoned with if she doesn't overthink things. Listen, naturally, Elizabeth Warren is a, is a likable, policy-wonk grandma. If she allows herself to be that likable, policy-wonk grandma, she'll do well. But the problem is, and others have pointed this out, when she tries to, I'm going to get in the mud with Trump, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to out-Trump Trump. No, you're not. No, you're not. Nobody's going to out-Trump Trump. Trump is Trump. By definition, he out-Trumps everybody else. So you can't do that. You have to be who you are, which is a lovable policy wonk grandma. Um, so, and Bernie's the best at that, because he's a, he doesn't care. If Donald Trump calls Bernie Sanders crazy Bernie to his face, he doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't care what this idiot is saying, because he actually thinks this guy's a fucking idiot. So Bernie will be out there, and he'll still be saying the same thing, doing, hitting the same stride. Why is it? Oh, if it's crazy to say that the 29 million Americans who don't have health care deserve health care, uh, Bernie, then call uh, or Trump, then call me crazy. Because here's what I'll tell you. I'll tell you right now, they deserve health care. And you have undermined that, and 7 million people have lost health care under your administration. So he's going to stick to policy. If Elizabeth Warren can do the same, she'll be a force to be reckoned with. But I'm pretty sure she's going to fuck it up, and she's going to continue to misstep because she's listening to her idiot advisors. Um, Oh, the other point is, you know, and I've brought this up before, we got to do maybe a poll. I'll think about it, but I'm curious what the audience thinks because there appears to be like a split. I I I mean, my audience overwhelmingly favors Bernie Sanders, and that's no surprise to anybody. But there does appear to be a split of Tulsi or Elizabeth Warren for second, you know, and I think that's a reasonable question, um, because you, you're going to have to create your hierarchy. Okay, who's who's our favorite? Well, mine is Bernie, but then who are your insurance policies <laughs> or your insurance policy? So I wish we had rank choice voting, man. All this would be so. I mean, how much better would voting be if we had rank choice voting? It would just it would be so lovely. It'd be the most wonderful thing ever, and nobody would have to even worry for a split second about Howard Schitts going around, making an ass of himself, but knowing that he's going to chip off like 2% of the Democrat, elitist Democratic vote. And then as a result of that, that actually will net uh, help Trump. But if we had ranked choice voting, that whole conversation of a spoiler vote would be gonzo. So it would be, you know, everybody who was, all the establishment Democrats who are blaming Jill Stein. Like, okay, if you really believe that, there is a solution. It's called ranked choice voting. She's been pushing for it. You should embrace it if you really are afraid of the spoiler vote idea. But, of course, they don't talk about it because they're a joke. Um, but, yeah, I, w- I would be curious to see the results of an actual poll on that. I'll probably do a YouTube poll on that, or YouTube poll, um, Twitter poll, and I'll see where my audience falls. But um, you heard it there from Elizabeth Warren, very strong themes. She says she – and this is something I've said a lot. Has she seen any secular talk clips? Maybe, maybe not. But she spoke about oh, class warfare. Like the Republicans always accuse the Democratic base of doing class warfare. Class warfare? No. It's the rich and the billionaires and the corporations who are doing class warfare on us. And we're just acknowledging that and fighting back. We didn't start it, bitch. (laughs) We're just responding. They started it. So that's a point that she made. She hammered away on corruption. She hammered away on the corporatocracy. And then, uh, honestly, to my surprise, very pro-union rhetoric. And um, she even said... uh, I want workers on corporate boards, which would be wonderful for labor in this country and be wonderful for the middle class. So um, but with this and her wealth tax, which I'm sure she spoke about at a different point in the, in the speech, I mean, if she sticks with the lovable grandma policy wonk thing, she will be a force to be reckoned with. So um, very much looking forward to the debates and the race. But come on, Bernie. Jump on in, buddy. We're all waiting for it. We're waiting to have that party. We know you're going to jump in. It's just a matter of when, so please do it now. All right, let's go to Cloud Boot Jar.
0: So, Amy
1: Cloud Boot Jar. Uh, announced her 2020 campaign in a speech. Let's watch some of that and then we will um, mostly make fun of it and that's what's going to happen.
3: And a safer world isn't just about what we do here at home. Even if you want to isolate yourself, from the rest of the world. The rest of the world won't let you. International problems come banging at your door just as opportunities come knocking. We need to stand strong and consistently with our allies. We need to be clear in our purpose. We must respect our frontline troops, diplomats, and intelligence officers who are there every day risking their lives for us. They deserve better than foreign policy by tweet. And one last obstacle that we must overcome to move forward together. Stop the fear-mongering and stop the hate. E pluribus unum out of one, out of many, one.
0: It is
3: more than a motto, America. It is the North Star of our democracy. It is the North Star of our effort. I am asking you to join this campaign. It is a homegrown one. I don't have a political machine. I don't come from money, but what I do have is this. I have grit. I I have family, I have friends, I have neighbors, and I have all of you who are willing to come out in the middle of winter. All of you who took the time to watch us today from home, all of you who are willing to stand up and say people matter, I'm asking you not to look down and not to look away anymore. I'm asking you to look up, to look at each other to look at the future before us. Let us rise to the occasion and meet the challenges of our day. Let us cross the river of our divides and walk across our sturdy bridge to higher ground. As one one faith leader reminded me this week, to pursue the good, we must believe that I do believe it, and so do you. So let's join together as one nation, indivisible, under God, and pursue the good. Thank you, and God bless America.
1: She is going to get so thoroughly destroyed, it's going to be hilarious. What Amy Klobuchar doesn't understand, and right now I'm talking about from a politics perspective. I'm going to get to the actual policy in a second, so hang on for that. Buckle up for that. But what she doesn't understand is if the same problem Julian Castro has, it's the same problem Howard Schitts has, it is no longer 1992. Like, these these people are acting like George W. Bush didn't happen. Dick Cheney didn't happen, by the way. Um, Barack Obama didn't happen. And Donald Trump didn't happen. Listen, we just saw an election where 98, 99% of the media said there's no way Hillary Clinton is going to lose. She represents the establishment and all that is normal and status quo And she lost to an idiot, orange-faced game show host buffoon who got caught on tape saying grab him by the pussy like a week before the election. And... Contradicted himself 8,000 times and launched his campaign by saying Mexicans are, uh, they're criminals, they're rapists. I assume some are good people. So, are no more rules. Stop going back to that shitty conventional wisdom playbook. That playbook is wrong. It Factually speaking, it's been proven empirically. It's just wrong. It's not correct. So why do you keep going back to it? it I mean, it really is almost like a... like a delusion at this point. It's like they're clinging to a set of beliefs like it's a fundamentalist religion and refusing to budge from it regardless of the evidence. So it's just a classic conventional boring ass campaign and um she sl- you heard there she slammed isolationism as if like, you know, people in fucking Wisconsin are, are like, "Oh, goddammit, I you know, I don't know if I can vote for Trump because Assad hasn't been toppled yet. Nobody says that. Like, they're in their own little D.C. bubble, and they can't see straight, and they don't know what the American people are feeling. They don't get that right now is a uniquely populist, anti-corruption, anti-establishment age, that people know that politicians aren't representing them, which is why they rolled the dice on a fucking crazy person like Trump, because they said, I don't know, at least he's not a politician. At least he's definitely going to not stick by the status quo, because look at him. He's the opposite of the status quo. Now, unfortunately for those people, many of Trump's policies, in fact, do continue the status quo, and he's doing exactly what Wall Street wants in many respects, even the military-industrial complex in many respects. Um, A lot of the non-interventionist rhetoric is just head fakes, but her response to that is to slam isolationism. And she also said, which, by the way, is a pejorative isolationism, and it's a pejorative for non-interventionism, which is, of course, overwhelmingly popular. Um, and she says, oh, we got to stand with our allies. Again, as if, like, dudes in Kentucky are like, God damn it, why don't you get closer with Saudi Arabia? I don't understand why you're not closer with them. What's wrong with you? Or even Israel, $38 billion in, uh, in military support when they're in apartheid nation expanding illegal settlements and, violent, and direct contravention of international law. Like, this idea of, like, we must stand our allies, that's what everybody wants us to do, right? No. The American people are not looking for us to continue to prop up murderous re- regimes. That's not their stance. And it also contradicts your own, you know, bullshit rhetoric of, we care about human rights. Obviously, you don't. Um, by the way, Amy Amy Cloudbootjar was, the, I think, the only 2020 um, contender who decided to vote for the Senate's bill which incentivizes states to ban pro-BDS activity. So in other words, you can't get a government contract if you support BDS. So that's what she means by "stand with our allies. Destroy the free speech rights of Americans to put the will of Israel over the will of our Constitution, over the demands of our Constitution. That's who Amy Klobuchar is. So deep in that D.C. bubble that she's like, what do you mean? Well, I'll fine, I'll be the only candidate to stand with israel on the democratic side oh my god you're so dumb so out of touch with what's happening in this country and what the dem the democratic base now is absolutely for palestinian rights and she doesn't give a fuck about palestinians um the other thing is you heard there it was pro-intelligence agencies this is not the left-wing position look at the history of the cia by the way, for people who say, Oh, that was only back in the day that they were toppling foreign governments and, and meddling everywhere around the world. It, it was just like last month that a former CIA official was on Laura Ingram's show and she asked directly, Are we still Are we still meddling in government today? And he was like, <laughs> Well we do, but we do for all the right reasons. of course. Our intentions are so
0: wonderful and benign.
1: Therefore, international law doesn't apply to us. Could you imagine? Somebody kills their girlfriend because she was cheating with the husband. But she was cheating with uh, somebody else. He kills her, and then he goes to court and he's like, oh no, this is all a misunderstanding. Sure, I murdered her, but it was with benign intentions. She was cheating on me. That's not really a defense. <laughs> That's you admitting that you killed somebody. By the same token, the U.S. is like, oh, sure, we meddle in the elections all the time, but it's all for the right reasons. No, you don't get to do that. You don't get to say we're above these rules because we say so. Because anybody can say that. Iran can say, hey, the U.S. is violating international law when they did an offensive uh, war in Syria, when they do an offensive war in Iraq, so we declare that uh, you should have regime change, and now Nancy Pelosi's president because we say so. It's not the way it works. It's not how it works. The U.S. can't say, well, we had benign intentions. What the fuck is that? It's so dumb. I mean, you're talking about agencies. The whole point, like they overthrew... Mohammed Mossadegh in 1953. But again, those are old examples. They're meddling right now in Venezuela as we're seeing in real time, and it's amazing. We're gonna get some stories later about how insane the propaganda has has, uh, become on on that front. Um, This is, these are the people who lied us into the Iraq war and Amy Klobuchar now is is seeing the praises of our intelligence agencies, totally whitewashing the history. Why? Because you get to be nominally anti-Trump. Say, oh, Trump has said some negative words about our intelligence officers, so now we know that they're right. She's going to be one of these people who totally drinks the Russia Kool-Aid as well. It's going to be, she's going to get so obliterated. Um, Now, let's get to actual policy. I touched on it a little bit there, but here's what she didn't say in her speech. I watched the whole thing. You just saw a little snippet of it there. But she didn't say Medicare for all. She didn't say living wage. She didn't say free college. She didn't say end the wars. In fact, she didn't say any of the main priorities of the left in her fucking launch speech. Now, Elizabeth Warren, we just covered her thing, she was hammering everybody over the head with policy the entire time. Listen, like or dislike Elizabeth Warren, irrelevant. That speech, she was hammering away on policy substance. Amy Klobuchar, jar, and again, you didn't see it, but you can go watch the whole thing if you'd like. At the beginning, she's talking about her, my mommy did this for a living, and my daddy did this for a living. Nobody gives a fuck. Nobody cares. I'm not trying to be a dick. Obviously, I am a dick. But I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm just trying to explain to you that Nobody cares about your personal life, your personal story. You know, again, we live in a country where Donald fucking Trump is president. And he got there by fucking throwing haymakers at everybody within a 10-foot radius of him on the campaign trail. And your response to that is to give your fucking personal stories if anybody gives a shit as if the country is going to, like, fall in love with your shitty personal story? No. We all have personal stories. We all have problems. We all have happy things. doesn't matter. We want to know what you're going to do for the fucking country. It's not 1992. God damn it. Ah, they don't get it. They don't get it. It's not 1992. They don't fucking get it. Stop acting like it's 1992. <sighs> so she didn't say any of the main um, you know, left-wing policy priorities. What she did do is she did uh, throw some weasel words out there. So I need everybody to get their antennas uh, adjusted to the proper frequency here because there's a reason I've been describing you all the weasel words because you're going to see them a lot in 2020. So you need to be prepared for who's a bullshitter and who's not. So what's what she did the prime example of weasel words on money in politics. She's like, and I think we should overturn Citizens United. And I think we should get dark, unaccountable money out of politics. Okay, wait a second. Yes, Citizens United was bad. That is not the end all be all. Stop thinking it's the end all be all. There's Citizens United. There's McCutcheon. There's a Buckley versus Vallejo. There's Bilotti versus a Bank of Boston. So there's a plethora of cases involving money and in politics where, in, in multiple decisions, the Supreme Court basically reaffirmed that money equals speech. So if you just overturn Citizens United, we still have massive corruption in the system. So why is Amy Klobuchar only talking about overturning Citizens United? Because she's okay with the corruption. She just wants to do tweaks around the edges to make you think, like, oh, yeah, she's for change. No, she's not. Getting rid of Citizens United leaves us still in a massively corrupt place. Okay? When they say, I want to get dark money out of politics, all that means is, I want transparency laws. So the money's no longer in the dark. It's now in the light. So you know who's buying your politicians. Is Amy Klobuchar saying, I want to ban the buying of politicians? I want to have clean elections by law? No, she's not saying that. She's saying, I just want more transparency. So she used so many weasel words in that speech. On health care, she did not say single payer. She did not say Medicare for all. If she said those things, then she'd be the real deal. What did she say? I want universal coverage. So that could mean I just want to expand Obamacare. And by the way, that's exactly what she means. Keep the private health insurance system in place, even though those are the real debt panels, um, and I want to expand that. Well, listen, man, people don't want that. They don't want that. Our system is fundamentally broken, but she wants to around the edges of the status quo. So she's not a radical candidate. She's not a revolutionary candidate. And actually, those aren't even the right terms. She's not a candidate who's willing to represent the American people because 70% of the American people want Medicare for all, including an overwhelming majority of the Democratic Party. And her own party, she's running on uh, ideas that they don't support. Um, Now, I I did uh, a couple... Little uh, pieces of research here, and I found out that Amy Klobuchar votes with Donald Trump 30% of the time. Listen, she is a symptom of everything that's wrong with the Democratic Party. Now, that might sound harsh, but it's totally true. Why do I say that? Because when you look at the Republicans, the Republicans who are considered moderate vote with Trump 90% of the time. When a Democrat votes with the Democrats 90% of the time, they're considered an extremist. So the spectrum is skewed in this country. Joe Manchin, moderate Democrat, votes with Donald Trump 60% of the time. So you have all these Democrats who are so-called moderate vote with Trump way more than any of the so-called moderate Republicans vote with Democrats. So the spectrum is so far to the right, the Overton window is so far to the right, and People don't understand that in this country, the so-called radical left, Bernie Sanders, I mean, he's an international moderate. He's like, a, you know, a milk toast, fucking nothing, barely lefty kind of guy. But in this country, he seems so insane and crazy and far left because there's people like Amy Klobuchar who are pretty fucking right wing, but they're, they're part of the Democratic Party. Basically, Amy Klobuchar is a Republican who doesn't hate black people and gay people. That's the best way of describing her. Um, now, uh, furthermore, she has a D rating from Normal, which is a group that um, monitors politicians' votes on, on drug issues. So, a D rating means that she's very pro-drug war. Again, who are you? Why are you running? You're going to get so destroyed. All of her opponents, by the way, should bring this up. Because she she she's one of the worst candidates, honestly. Um, she... She said in her speech, and this was also on her On the Issues page, she wants to fight ISIS internet recruitment. Now, what does that mean? Because everybody's like, ISIS bad. We want to stop ISIS. That's a good thing to stop ISIS. But the devil's always in the details. So what that would mean is she wants, like, the intelligence agencies to regulate the internet. Mm, Hard no on that, bitch. No way. No way. No way. No way. This idea that they're going to be like, Oh no! They will really be objective and only look uh, at what uh, terrorists are doing. Are you kidding me? We've learned from Edward Snowden and we've learned from these countless scandals that you had people in these intelligence agencies spying on their exes. It was so common they had a term for it. They called it love int, love intelligence. They would be sitting there spying on their exes and using all these means. By the way, what, what just happened with um, what's his face, Jeff Bezos with Amazon? How apparently his like dick pics, um, w- the National Enquirer got their hands on his dick pics. No pun intended there. And they were going to run with it, and they blackmailed him. Basically said, "Hey, stop saying that we are political and we're working with Trump, and probably has something to do with Khashoggi too. Like stop talking about the Khashoggi thing." So, um, where was I? I lost. I was to Je- Jeff Bezos's dick pics. <laughs> what a weird, <laughs> what a weird sentence. Oh, the. You know, how did the National Enquirer get their hands on Jeff Bezos' dick pics? Well, again, National Enquirer does have ties to Trump. Trump is the head of the executive branch, so he's in control of our intelligence agencies, technically. So was it Trump who said, I'll get you something to blackmail Bezos with to get him off of your ass and our ass? Certainly possible. So this is the kind of stuff that our intelligence agencies are engaged in. The idea that they're, like, above the fray and following the rules and only trying to protect the country, complete bullshit is what that is. Um, So she wants to, like, regulate the Internet, which is something I'm definitely not in favor of. And then worst thing about her, she's a deficit scold, which, of course, just buys into right-wing framing and that's used to undermine, uh, you know, social programs like Medicare for All or, like, uh, free college or... Anything that helps regular people, that's when the deficit scolds come out. And she's a deficit scold. She's been doing it her whole career. And then finally, she supports the Patriot Act. And she has routinely voted for, you know, expanding NSA uh, NSA spying. And so she's she's a terrible candidate. And it's hilarious that she thinks she's going to get anywhere. She's going to get obliterated. She's massively out of touch with the times. And um, I can't wait to continue to make fun of her. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I don't know whether Cory Booker will get made fun of the most whether uh, Howard Schitts will get made fun of the most or whether Amy Cloudboot will get made fun of the most. But those are the three that are really going to get it because they're silly. They're like really silly people and they're kind of a joke and everybody should mock them because they deserve nothing better than that. Oh, I did want to do one more thing. Oh, and one more thing. Um, here's her breakdown from Open Secrets. For small individual contributions, only 23% of her money comes from small individual contributions. Large contributions, that's like the big money bundling dinners, about 50% of her money comes from that. PAC contributions, she still takes money from corporate PACs, about 22% of her money comes from that. So as far as these numbers go, not great. Not great. Um, ideally, in our current corrupt system, you want a lot of the money to come from... Um, small-dollar donations. That's how you know you have a pretty decent candidate. And honestly, you want, like, zero in corporate PAC money. Um, and honestly, use Bernie as the benchmark here because I think his numbers are the best numbers. So it, you, we don't need perfection because our system is so broken. And honestly, to to be a large contribution under law, it just needs to be over $200. So a lot of the l- large contributions are really not corrupt. It really could just be a teacher in fucking Idaho who said, I'm going to give $300 to this campaign. So... It's not perfect how they break it down on open secrets, but generally speaking, you want to have a lot of small individual contributions. You want to have not that many large contributions, because some of that money comes from a uh, uh, big donor bundling, which is a problem. And you want to have as little as possible from, from PACs. And to the extent you take anything from PACs, hopefully it's labor PACs and not corporate PACs, because labors are, uh, labor is a much more benign, corrupting influence, although it is a corrupting influence. So... Uh Cloud Boot jar is uh is terrible and um you need to know that. Venezuela. Here we go. Here we go, baby. Venezuela time. All right. Let me pull up. First of all, I need the shitty Fox business host doing her shitty nonsense. Okay. So the propaganda about Venezuela, um, it's, it's gotten absurd. I mean, they just, took a heaping dose of steroids and objected it right in the ass of the news coverage. And they're trying to, like, hype this up as much as possible, and they're overreaching massively. Some of these things at face value, you're just going to be like, what? Well, here's one of those right here. So this is uh, Fox Business Network talking about this. They get an exclusive with uh, Mike Pompeo Take a Look.
4: Tonight, the Secretary of
2: State Mike Pompeo telling me exclusively that Nicolas Maduro must go
5: and confirming to me that there are Hezbollah cells active inside Venezuela. Watch. Do you have concerns
4: that Venezuela runs the risk of turning into a no man's land Uh, where you you, you have these bad actors, including um, some with links to Hezbollah? that could be more of a threat because they're in our
6: hemisphere. Yeah, Trisha, I'm glad you brought that up. People don't recognize that Hezbollah has active cells. The Iranians are impacting the people of Venezuela and throughout South America. Uh, we have an obligation
0: to take down that risk for America.
4: The secretary is right. Uh, and just hang with me here because I'm about to tell you a lot. Uh, I actually know a lot about terror activity in Latin
1: America. Come on, man. It, uh, it's so cartoonish. That was so cartoonish. I'm going to tell you a lot. I know a lot about this. Do you not believe me? Why don't you believe me? I know a lot about this. Uh, honestly, it's, like, it's, it's almost like a parody. Like, if I was going to try to make a scene to be, you know, making fun of, parodying U.S. propaganda to push us to, re- to regime change... Now, honestly, I don't know if I could come up with something sillier than this. Hezbollah is in Venezuela. Hezbollah sales are active in Venezuela. First of all, let's get to the, the direct implication of what they're saying. Does your average Fox Business viewer know who fucking Hezbollah is? Do they know anything about Hezbollah? No. What they hear is, ooh, scary Islamic-sounding name, and they think that means, oh, my God, terrorist group planning attacks against the U.S. from Venezuela. That's the whole point of Mike Pompeo floating this and of this idiot Fox Business host just running with it as if it's gospel, as if it's true, and doing no fact-checking whatsoever. Um, And at face value, that's beyond ridiculous. Why do I say that? Guys, Hezbollah is a a Shia-Lebanese political party. You know what they do? They, like, try to protect average Lebanese people from ISIS attacks in Lebanon. In fact, some of some people from Hezbollah partook in fighting back against ISIS in Syria. So just understand that a, a Shia Lebanese political group, for them to be in Venezuela makes less than no sense. By the way, another point, that nobody makes your media would talk about because they're idiots and they don't know it, or they're purposely trying to bury it, is that when you talk about terrorism, we're talking about a, a very limited and defined ideology. And that ideology is Wahhabism or Salafism. So that's ultra-Orthodox, literalist, fundamentalist, Sunni Islam. So that's ISIS, that's the ideology of ISIS. That's the ideology of al-Qaeda. That's the ideology of al-Nusra, which, of course, was formerly part of al-Qaeda. Now they've rebranded and changed their name because they're trying to escape being accurately described as literal jihadists. But that's what that is. So that ideology is the ideology that when people talk about, oh, my God, terrorism against the United States or terrorism against the West, it is that specific ideology. By the way, that ideology happens to be shared by the government of Saudi Arabia. Okay, But put that aside for a second. Shia Islam, like it, dislike it, agree with it, disagree with it, think it's goofy, think it's dumb, think it's wrong or not, whatever. That's not where the terror threat is coming from. And this is like basic 101 shit. This is like barely entry level. This is like if you've been following politics for a year or more, you have to know this. Like if you don't know this by then, you need to pay more attention. So, in other words, just like they say, oh, my God, Iran is the number one state sponsor of terrorism. Why is that absurdly laughable on its face? Because Iran is is a Shia nation. The terror threat is 100% from al-Qaeda, from ISIS, and that is uh, Salafism. That's fundamentalist Sunni Islam. And, if anything, Shias are a a larger target (laughs) than even the West is from um, Sunni fundamentalism, from Salafism. So this idea of, like, a fucking Shia uh, Islamist political party from Lebanon is active in Venezuela to, like, launch attacks against the U.S., that is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. And it's made to dupe low-information voters who don't know anything. That's what this is made Oh, oh I guess we have to do something in Venezuela. Oh. What? Oh, my God. Listen, I, I knew it was bad in terms of, like, U.S. propaganda and regime change and all this stuff and... What we do to try to get to that point. I did not know it was this bad because you have to remember, I, in, I grew up in a political context where like three years to four years into the Iraq war, a lot of the Democrats were saying the right thing. They were like, OK, what are we doing? We got to get out of there. And a lot of the Democratic resistance to uh, the Bush administration, particularly three years to four years into the Iraq war became, no, seriously, we have to stop the Iraq war. And so I grew up in a context where it's like the Democrats are actually being anti-war, and the Republicans are very pro-war. I mean, now everybody just drinks the Kool-Aid on this nonsense. I mean, I've seen other uh, liberal pundits basically, uh, you know, help feed into the regime change propaganda. And it's unbelievable. Nobody's saying anything, or at least the overwhelming majority of people discussing this issue are saying nothing about Maduro at all, at all. What we're saying is, hey, the U.S. needs to follow international law and not intervene in foreign countries and not meddle in other elections and reach that hilarious level of hypocrisy, but also doing something illegal. We don't have a right to do that. So what we're questioning is the fundamental logic of empire, which is what we are and which is what we're acting like. But now you see, like, they will stop at nothing to try to get this done to the point where they just lie, oh, and this, this honestly is as stupid as when Glenn Beck said that ISIS has a camp just over the border in Mexico. But it gets worse. You're like, wait, no, what? Has it get worse than this? It does. So take a look at this uh, screen capture. Now, this is what was happening all week. Um, this is from one news show, but this was happening... I mean, CNN did an article about this, New York Times. You named the publication, and they did did a story on this. So what this says is, the debrief, unrest in Venezuela, Maduro orders military to block aid caravans on country's border. Now, so the argument from uh, everybody on this is, oh, he's such an evil, brutal dictator that he is not even allowing in aid to feed his starving population. Obviously, we're the good guys. This is why we need to do regime change. Okay, now, first and foremost, you should immediately question the authenticity of Western governments who, are, who have imposed crippling sanctions on Venezuela, in part leading to starving citizens, and then they turn around and pretend to care about, oh, my God, they're hungry. The people are hungry. The people of Venezuela are hungry. Let's help them you're so concerned about them being hungry, lift the sanctions? So they starve them, or at least in part help to starve them, and then turn around and go, oh, they're starving. Why won't he let our aid in? Okay, well, um, Adam Johnson explains this perfectly well. This is incredible once you learn the context. Except, Except three pieces of key context are missing from this story. Context that, when presented to a neutral observer, would severely undermine the cartoonish narrative being advanced by U.S. media. One, both the Red Cross and the U.N. warn the U.S. not to engage in this aid PR stunt. Two, the bridge in question is a visual metaphor contrived by the Trump administration of little practical relevance. Three, the person in charge of U.S. operations in Venezuela has a history of using aid as a cover to deliver weapons to right-wing mercenaries. All right, so let me explain that further. This bridge was not in use. It has always been blocked, and it's not in use. So what happened? What happened was the U.S. said, oh, let's put these uh, you know, cargo things right where the bridge is blocked and pretend like Maduro took this bridge that was, a fucking, that was running and people were using it and said, no, we must block this and not allow in the aid, and they put up the barriers when they heard the U.S. was going to bring the food in None of that is true. The bridge was never in use. And those blocks were already up. And so the U.S. was like, okay, empty bridge. Ah, uh, Here, put it, let's do a photo op. Put the, the, uh, you know, these cargo things in front of it, and then let's uh, cry about how, oh, he's such an evil man. He won't even allow the humanitarian aid in. Furthermore, he has accepted aid from the international community when he knows it's in good faith. So that's why the UN and the Red Cross were like, What are you doing? Don't do this. We know this is a PR stunt. Don't do it. We're sending aid and aid's getting through. But you guys are, this is just a fucking PR stunt. This is what you're doing. That's the UN and the Red Cross saying that. So the bridge was never in use. <coughs> never in use. Um, they have accepted aid when it's in good faith and not a fucking PR stunt. And then most importantly is the last point, which is. Elliot Abrams is in charge now in regards to Venezuela. Elliot Abrams has a history of overthrowing governments in Latin America. A history of it. And he literally used this same trick back in the 1980s where they said, oh, we're sending aid. Let the aid in, please. And it's just, it's weapons to be used to do a coup, an illegal coup, violent coup, to overthrow the sitting government. So Adam Johnson continues Not only has the international aid community not asked for for the aid, earlier this week, both the International Red Cross and the United Nations warned the U.S. to explicitly not engage in these types of PR stunts, as Washington Post contributor Vincent Bevins pointed out. The transparent cynicism of these efforts was preemptively warned about by the groups actually charged with keeping starving people fed. So this is... Listen, guys, you have to understand something. We have a history of doing exactly this. We come up... It's like with the first Iraq war. What did they say? They said, oh my God, the government is so evil that they're taking babies who were just born out of incubators incubators and letting them die on the ground. So they come up with the most cartoonishly over-the-top representations of evil so that when somebody like me steps out there and says, hey, I don't think we should willy-nilly engage in illegal coups and overthrow foreign governments, sovereign governments, I'm accused of being the heartless son-of-a-bitch asshole who doesn't care about people. Whereas the people who've been pushing for regime change for cynical motives, for natural resources, for uh, geopolitical control and power and dominance, they try to take the fake moral high ground and say, ah, look at this evil fucking person who doesn't want to intervene. Obviously, I'm a humanitarian hero, and I want anything. You know, recycle and repeat for fucking Libya, for Iraq, for Syria, which they're engaged in right now, for Venezuela... So the propaganda is real. And look, even if you're skeptical of everything I've said up to this point, Mike Pompeo is an avowed neocon who said Edward Snowden should be executed. Okay, who said WikiLeaks is a non-state terror actor. That's who Mike Pompeo is. He supported every war, uh, the Patriot Act. John Bolton is the neocon's neocon. He makes George W. Bush look like Look like Noam Chomsky. This guy has never met a war he didn't like. That's John Bolton. He's in charge of this. Elliot Abrams has a history of doing exactly this in the same places. The whole point is topple governments, put in U.S. puppet dictators to, to serve our interests. We're right back to Cold War stuff here. So even if you don't trust the facts of what I just laid out for you, do you trust the motives of guys like John Bolton and Elliot Abrams? honestly, you would have to be a fucking dumbass to say yes to that. Like, comically ignorant on that front. So just know what's going on here. The propaganda is the worst I think I've ever seen, and that's quite a statement, because I've seen some shitty propaganda in my time. But fucking Hezbollah in Venezuela insinuating that a Shia political group is going to fucking launch attacks against the United States. and. The comically cartoonish, over-the-top, fake PR stunt of, of, oh my God, why isn't he letting food in? When the Western sanctions are part of what's starving people in Venezuela anyway. Just, you have to realize what's going on here. And again, this is to say nothing at all about Maduro and his leadership, okay? But just don't be a fucking dunce who falls for the oldest trick in the book of the benign intentions.
0: Oh, we're, we are,
1: we're so holier than thou in that we're the only empire in history that's had benign intentions. Yeah. Are you kidding me? There's one fact alone that destroys that argument. Our top ally is Saudi frickin' Arabia, one of the worst governments in the world one of the most theocratic dictatorial governments in the world, doing a genocide right now in Yemen that we're actively backing. We have benign intentions, even though we backed the last government in the world, yes. What a joke! What a fucking dumb joke that is! Oh my God, what a dumb joke. We back 73% of the world's dictatorships. We're going to talk about benign intentions and loving freedom and democracy? It's just so childish. Oh my God. But a lot of people will fall for it. All of mainstream media fell for it. Which, by the way, I shouldn't be complaining from a selfish perspective because that's why a lot of you guys tune in here because you know I'm going to tell you the truth. And it's not that hard for me to do it. Even though I'm just an asshole with a loud mouth, I'm a hell of a lot more credible than all the silly people on TV who don't know anything. Okay. Let's take a break. When we come back, AOC sat down for an interview with Chuck Todd. We're going to go into details about that. So stay right there, everybody. We'll be right back with that and more. Okay, um, let's get into the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez stories. Gave us plenty of food for thought here, and you're finally getting a solid lefty perspective in mainstream outlets with her in this position of power. And I have to say, it is incredibly refreshing, if I don't say so myself. Okay, so... Let's see what she says about what she's looking for in a 2020 candidate. Okay, let me set this up. So AOC sat down for an interview with Chuck Todd. Um, I call him human oatmeal because that's what he is. So um, let's see what she says about what the left is looking for in a 2020 candidate.
6: What is, how do you define economic justice, though?
5: So when we talk about things like the, the role of the labor movement, the role of labor in, in the working conditions of everyday Americans, when we talk about fighting doggedly for workers, for, uh, whether it's wages, whether it's union jobs, whether it's good jobs, um, I think that is what we're really talking about in terms of, of fighting for economic justice.
6: What... Um is there, So you, you said that on, on the issues of race, on the issues I assume gender falls into that, too, but I think those are, the, you would assume you just couldn't get traction on that. Are there specific red lines for you? Medicare for all, do you have to say you'll do it, or is being aspiring to it in the future enough for you?
5: So I think that we need, we need commitments with teeth. So I don't want to be placated as a progressive, and I know that the progressive movement does not want to be placated in twenty twenty.
6: Like, but I guess yeah, I guess what's the definition? So you have, for instance, Amy Klobuchar and Sherrod Brown. I think both are both arguing that they love Medicare for all, but they're like it's not realistic. Let's fix Obamacare or let's do Medicare yeah. 50, Medicare 55. Me, Would that be a non-starter for you?
5: For me, I I reject that outright. I reject the rationale. Okay. I reject the rationale of saying. Adopting the same insurance models or a similar insurance model to any other developed country in America is unrealistic. I reject that. I reject the idea that single payer is, is impossible. I reject the idea that universal health care is impossible. All of these things are possible. When We talk about what I want in the 2020 candidate. I want a 2020 candidate that Says we can do these things. We can be audacious. I think we need, in order to overcome this moment, we need to return to our FDR roots as a party. That's what I believe.
1: Okay, this is wonderful because what she's doing is she's moving the Overton window in Washington, D.C. Now, what she just said there is not... It's not extreme, it's not radical. In fact, it's the discourse that's been going on in left circles for decades. It's, you know, you come here and you hear stuff like this on a regular basis. And to you, it's totally unsurprising and in fact, it's obvious. But the reality is human oatmeal has not heard this before. Um, Other people in Washington, D.C. have not heard this before. The people on Wall Street have not heard this before. Power centers have not heard this before and It's about time that the dialogue that's happening among regular people throughout the country, it's about time that that dialogue at least makes an appearance in Washington, D.C. Now, remember, she's not all of Congress. She represents basically the left flank of Congress, even though she's pretty internationally moderate, and moderate in terms of she's a centrist among the will of actual people in this country. But she represents the left flank in Congress. But nobody was saying these things. Obviously, Bernie was saying these things. But outside of Bernie, nobody was saying these things. And then now they're finally being uttered. And you have amusement. Like, Chuck Todd is, like, asking these questions as if, again, the answers aren't obvious. Like, oh, is Medicare for All a red line? Polls show 70% of Americans want Medicare for All. Even a majority of Republicans want Medicare for All now. Honestly, what a dumb question. It is. It's dumb. It's dumb. Now, but her answer is basically exactly correct, which is the left is tired of being placated because that's all we do is we get placated. Why is it that right-wing politicians super serve their base? Democratic politicians always betray their base. That's what happens. Every time, that's what happens. So, AOC is stepping up here and saying, "Well, yeah, that is kind of a red line," and I don't. It, you have to understand something. It's just wrong. So when people like Sherrod Brown say, among others, like, oh, it's just not practical. No, what's not practical is keeping our current system where we spend more than the rest of the developed world, and we get worse outcomes, and we don't even cover everybody. Okay? What is practical is getting a system that's $5 trillion cheaper over a decade and covers everybody and reduces price. So... You're just wrong. Like, the things you're saying are just incorrect, and I'm here to correct it. And that's exactly what she does. And she's moving this Overton window back to a a, a spectrum of debate that's reasonable, where now she's saying, look, to sum up our position, it's that the Democratic Party needs to stop with the neoliberal centrist Bill Clinton model and needs to go back to the FDR model, social democracy model. That's what she's asking for. And listen, FDR got elected four times. He died in office. He's the reason why we, the Republicans came up with term limits, because he was so fucking popular, he wouldn't stop winning. And the Republicans thought, if we don't do term limits, we might never win another election, because the Democrats and their um, social democratic uh, ideology on economic issues is so popular that we're never going to win. So now you have somebody, Washington, which has moved massively to the right and pro-corporate, you have somebody coming in there uh, bursting that bubble and saying, no, yeah, Medicare for all is kind of a litmus test. They're just wrong when they speak out against it, and we're done being placated. That's correct. So we'll see what AOC does moving forward. She said at another point in this interview, don't ask me about an endorsement until the New York primary. Okay. Um Not the direction I would go if I was her, but uh, okay, is what it is. Um, But I would like to see all left politicians not be sleazy and disingenuous in in that you know who you agree with ideologically and philosophically. Don't do an Elizabeth Warren. What did Elizabeth Warren do? Oh, me? I think Hillary's going to win, so I'm just going to sit out and not back the person who... I agree with much more who ended up losing Massachusetts by, like, less than one percentage point. Whoops. Did I do that? Now, to be fair to AOC, she's not, she's not saying that. She said, ask me, like, right before the New York primary." Okay. So she's saying she will do an endorsement, but it will be all the way, you know, in the future. But I don't know. My take is, and maybe I'm an old school guy, but my take is um, you say who you agree with and you do it pretty much immediately. I just think that's more intellectually honest and um respectful, but that's just me. Um anyway, happy she's moving the Overton window, happy she's changing the discourse, and it's about damn time. And you know how desperately this is needed because human oatmeal is actually shocked a little bit when she, when he hears like the obvious answers from AOC. Okay, let's uh, talk about Howard Schultz. And make fun of him, of course. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, I found it. Never mind. I thought I lost this video clip. But it is here. So Howard Schultz, or as I call him, Howard Schitz. I'm such a dumbass, but it makes me laugh, man. I can't you know listen i I said it from the beginning, even though Trump's a fucking moron, I kind of like his nicknames. <laughs> so i I guess I've somewhat adopted a similar thing where I do because um, he said about that about uh, Schatz. what's his name? Schatz? I mean, to, Schatz's name alone is bad enough, but he said shits. Um, i'm I'm using that for Schultz. Schultz is Howard Shits. but anyway, he morphed into Jeb Bush this week. And it gave us this hilarious immortal moment. Take a look. The cost of an education here will be less expensive in nominal dollars in 2020 than it was in 2012. Congratulations. Got
4: to
6: clap for that. The next president needs to be a lot quieter, but send a signal that we're prepared to act in the national security interests of this country to get back in the business of creating a more peaceful world. Please clap.
1: Awesome. So glorious. I loved every second of it. To be fair to Howard Schultz, he his you have to clap for that didn't sound nearly as desperate as Jeb Bushes, like, there's something about Jeb Bush that is the epitome of weakness, you know, Uh, Trump called him low-energy Jeb, I think he could have came up with a better nickname for Jeb, because it's something with weakness more, because he's just so, he's like a feeble, he's like a feeble man, feeble boy Jeb, (laughs) feeble Jeb Bush, I like that better, he's just so feeble, god damn it, and and you could tell he, like, he yearns for the approval of everybody that's around him at all points in time. And it's just, it's something that just makes you, it's you're turned off to him. You're like, ah, stop being so fucking feeble or needy, needy Jeb Bush. <laughs> I'm enjoying coming up with different nicknames for Jeb. But, like, you sense it in, in how he talks and the way he carries himself. He, it, like, Do you like me? You guys like me yet? And because he does that, you're just like, no. And fuck you on top of the no. <laughs> and Howard Schultz, it's not... Howard Schultz's energy, his vibe is not like that. that. Jeb's vibe is just feeble and needy. Howard Schultz's vibe is more... How do I describe this? Aloof. He's more like aloof and disconnected. But the aloofness and the disconnectedness also perfectly defines his ideology and, like, what he's doing right now, his little vanity project. Because he's so aloof and he thinks he's so holier than thou that he's, like, he doesn't even realize that everybody fucking hates him. (laughs) (laughs) He has a 4% approval rating. He just did a poll on it. We covered it on the last show. 4% son.
0: Not even in double digits. <laughs>
1: <sighs> oh, I'm going to love this election, I have to tell you. I mean, come on, man. You have so many characters, so many narcissistic idiots, so many out-of-touch people. The thing that's the funniest about Howard Schultz is this. He fancies himself as the savior of the country from the evil grips of the evil billionaire Donald Trump. And he thinks he's riding in on his white horse, and he's the, he's the good billionaire to save you from the bad billionaire, and he's a leader of moral character. Yeah. So he fancies himself the savior of the country from Donald Trump, when the reality is he actually perfectly embodies the ideology that gave us Donald Trump. Think about that. What gave us Donald Trump? Honestly, it was a broken, neoliberal, centrist world order. A world order that only cared about corporations and elites and really screwed over working people. And what did they do? They gave you, they gave you um, social issues change because corporations have no stake in whether or not we're assholes to gay people. So, okay, yeah, sure, we'll give you some change on, change on social issues. Yeah, yeah. well, us corporations, we don't hate blacks and we don't hate gays. Aren't we so progressive? Like, actually, no, that's the bare, bare minimum. Like, that's so, that should be under the duh category, not even debatable. Like, obviously, we shouldn't be assholes to gay people and to black people. But corporations, like, hold that up as like, Oh, see, we're so moral. Look at our commercial that has diversity in it. Oh, And Howard Schultz comes along, and he's like, yeah, I'm the guy who's going to still give tax cuts to corporations, going to still deregulate Wall Street, going to agree with neoliberal centrism through and through, going to gaslight the left and say, we can't afford to do Medicare for all and free college. So he comes along and perfectly embodies neoliberal corporate centrism. While he's also like, and by the way, I don't hate immigrants. Aren't I a good person? And like, so in a weird way, even though he fancies himself as the savior of the American people from Donald Trump, and he's the good billionaire to save you from the bad billionaire, his ideology is the exact kind of neoliberal rot, the exact kind of nonsense that led to the rise of a fake populist demagogue. If there's one term that I would use to describe howard schultz's uh campaign here it's anti-populist or elitist that's what it is and he thinks like oh this is the answer dude you're you're basically hillary clinton but more honest hillary clinton like 25 percent of the time put on a little fake progressive act you just drop the fake progressiveness and say yeah corporations are awesome and i don't hate minorities and vote for me because he's a bad guy and i care deeply about decorum. Nothing's funnier than the decorum humpers, because the whole thing that they're trying to do is like, uh, me? I will not be offensive. I will be a good leader, and I will have good, polite, civic, moral values. And it's like, hey, asshole! People actually don't really care about that, which again is one of the reasons why Trump's elected. He doesn't give a shit about that. But I'm polite and I'm civil. People are actually offended by up to 45,000 people dying because they don't have health care in this country. Something you're okay with. It's true. You are. People are actually offended by over $1 trillion in student loan debt. Something you're okay with you have no plan to deal with. You know? So the stuff that actually offends people is the stuff that he's okay with. The stuff where he's not going to cross the line is like, oh, I will stand with good posture and not use curse words. Vote for me, America. A moral man so out of touch with reality it's, it's kind of hilarious to watch him <laughs> destroy himself again I told you it's going to be tough a tough one who will I make fun of more in 2020 there should be bets about this in Las Vegas will I make fun of Cory Booker more Amy Cloudboot Jar, or Howard Schitz? it's a tough one I don't know I don't know who I'm going to make fun of more but my goal is probably to split it up evenly between those three All right, now Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, we got to go back to the Chuck Todd interview. I forgot I got to give you two more here. Now AOC is going to talk about centrism. So AOC took Chuck Todd to school over the issue of centrism. Um. So she's going to describe what the American people are looking for, and Chuck Todd perfectly reflects DC conventional wisdom. And remember, this is what Chuck Todd believes is not even close to true. And she's going to burst that bubble very quickly. Watch.
6: Somebody who had an interesting perspective on sort of this issue of the the larger issue of the Democratic Party, Senator Claire McCaskill. Mm-hmm. She lost mm-hmm. from a red state, um, and. She was critiquing, not you personally, but I think some people thought she was attacking you personally, but basically saying, hey, it is easy to be a democratic socialist in a blue district like Mm -hmm, yours. mm -hmm. It is hard to say that same thing and get a Democrat elected in Missouri. So how do you square that with the ability of finding a governing majority?
5: Well, I square it, first of all, I square it with the direct evidence in 2016 that that is not true. And no matter how you feel about Senator Bernie Sanders, he ran in 2016 as a Democratic Socialist.
6: Unapologetically. And
5: unapologetically, and he won every county in West Virginia, and he won Michigan. primaries. In primaries. I mean, these are among Democrats. I mean, you no, know, I know general, that. But
6: that's but the, among Democrats is one thing, but those independents, right? Those
5: oh. And he wins independence. He wins independence. That's the thing. It's because people have this mistaken idea that American politics is on, is on one linear line between left and right. Forty percent of the American public identifies as independence, and that doesn't mean we're in the middle. Right. That means we hate this thing. Mm-hmm. Finally, somebody said it
1: in a power center. Okay, this is what I've been screaming on this show for years the entire conceptualization of politics that elites have is totally wrong. Now, I don't know if they're misleading people on purpose or if they actually believe it. I tend to think they actually believe it and they drank the Kool-Aid on this. But here's, here's the way the argument goes. Well, listen, the country is like a center-right country. So in order for Democrats to win, they have to reach out to the right. And you know, hey, it's all fine and dandy in a, in a, in a far-left district like AOC's to run um, somebody who's actually on the left, but the fact of the matter is you gotta, you got to run centrists, you got to run even conservative Democrats in more conservative districts. So, I mean, it is what it is. What are we going to do? That, that's just the hardcore reality on the ground, and there's no getting around it. So when a guy like Rahm Emanuel steps up and says, let's basically run Joe Manchin types throughout half the country – we got to do what we got to do. So, I mean, listen, we had to put a Democrat front and center who's going to disagree with us on 60% of the issues, which is how often Joe, Democrat, uh, Joe uh, Manchin agrees with Trump. It's 60% of the time he does. That's insane. But, but that's the argument. The argument is, what are we going to do? It's a hardcore political reality. And that's exactly what Chuck Todd is expressing here uh, through Claire McCaskill, who said the same thing. Now, by the way, he said it up front. To get criticism out of the way, because or else AOC would have called him out on that too. Chuck Todd goes, "Yeah, she lost." Okay, wait a second. Pause and reflect on that. She lost an election, and she's telling everybody how Democrats can win elections. That's almost like going to Charles Manson for morality advice. <laughs> like, it, you're you're like the perfect example of who not to listen to. That's like going to Hillary Clinton and saying. Tell us how to win elections. She keeps losing.
0: Why would you ask her? (laughs) Whatever she says, do the opposite. Do the opposite of that. This is just
1: basic logic. Now, furthermore, you know who else has been one of the uh, faces of this, going around on all the different shows and giving his opinion on this? Joe Donnelly. Joe Donnelly was a Democratic senator from Indiana. He lost. Why did he lose? Go watch his uh, ads. His ads were, I'm more right-wing than this Republican who's running against me. He literally, like, bragged about agreeing with Ronald Reagan, said he's not against the wall, and slammed Medicare for All in his ad. Wow! It turns out when you tell your own base that they're fucking stupid, they don't show out for (laughs) you. They're so dumb. Okay, now, look at what AOC said in response. Perfect answer. She goes... Wait, so you're telling me we need centrism and and more conservative Democrats in order to win in the Midwest? Well, how do you respond to the direct empirical evidence that Bernie Sanders won the Midwest in 2016? (laughs) That directly contradicts your shitty fucking narrative. Can you fucking acknowledge that, please? And they won't. They won't. They're just going to keep plowing forward as if AOC did not fact-check them. And every show will do it. I just saw Nate Silver tweet about it the other day, and he's not even the worst offender on this front, but sometimes he's bad. Um, and, you know, the, the argument is, and you're going to hear this a lot moving forward, oh, ideally, sure, we want a left-wing candidate, but honestly, it's more about electability. Oh, oh, electability, oh. You're just assuming that more electable means further right-wing, means more centrist. That's what you're assuming. The data shows the opposite. If anything, there's a better argument that the further left you go, the more electable you become. But they're just going to say it, and just a lazy assumption is, oh, that means more right wing is better. We're about to see. We'll see who does better, Cloud Boot Jar or Bernie. I wonder who's going to do better in the 2020 race. Okay, now she says Bernie won the Midwest. What are you talking about? Then he goes, okay, all right, yeah. By the way, didn't, did not at all absorb her point, understand it. He didn't get it. He just fucking brushed that shit right off his shoulder and said, but independence, that's what, this is about independence, isn't it? And AOC immediately claps back with, Bernie wins independence. That's what all the polls show. There is no debate here, guys. There's no debate. And actually, the picture is even better than AOC lets on here. Now, she does a great job, and she's writing everything she said, but there's one point that goes a step further that would totally blow up their brain. You know what that is? Bernie also won self-described conservative Democrats. Bro, how is that possible? Because And people point this out, and they're correct to point this out. I don't get it. Bernie Sanders is literally further to the left than, than Hillary Clinton in 2016. It's not even close. He was the furthest left candidate available. So how could a candidate who's furthest left get more of the vote from democrats who self-describe as further right there's only one explanation for it and it makes perfect sense people don't know about labels they don't know about labels so there could be somebody could say hey yeah i i think i'm a pretty conservative guy but then when they hear bernie say well should we shouldn't we take our tax dollars and put it towards health care for everybody like every other developed nation well yeah i think so shouldn't we have a living wage in this country so if you work full-time you make enough money to survive yeah i think so i think that makes sense Hey, shouldn't we have free college and just treat college like it's high school and catch up to the rest of the developed world and make it so people don't have over a trillion dollars in student loan debt? Yeah, I like that idea. Hey, shouldn't we regulate the criminals on Wall Street who crashed the economy and got away with it and ran out the back door with taxpayer money? Yeah, I think that makes sense, too. Hey, shouldn't we legalize marijuana because people are getting locked up for slightly changing their consciousness and it's not really that much different than having a sip of beer, having having a couple beers at the bar with your buddy on a Friday night? Yeah, I like that idea, too. So this is what happens, people. So, uh, oh, I'm pretty conservative. Uh, you just, he just described every left-wing position, and you agreed with it. So people don't know labels. By the way, we're going to get to a story on this later. There's a guy named Tim Poole who was on Joe Rogan's podcast, and he reiterated this. Same oh, uh, hey, there's a new Pew Research uh, poll, and to be fair to him, there is a new Pew Research poll. I'm trying to find it. Um, here it is right here. Um, when they asked Democrats, 53% of Democrats said, we want – a more moderate people in our party, and only 40% said more liberal. Now, ignore the fact that they don't get the distinction between liberal and leftist like extremely online people do. What they mean by more liberal is more leftist. But put, put that aside for a second. What's the problem with this poll? The same as what I just described to you before. People don't know labels. People will say, I'm really conservative. Do I agree with free college? Yeah. Do I agree with Medicare for all? Yeah. Do I want to end the wars? Yeah. Do I want to legalize marijuana? Yeah. Do I want to regulate Wall Street? Yeah. So they don't People think they know what labels, they don't know what labels are. They just. I don't know, that sounds better, I'm more conservative. So when people are going around now and saying, oh, the Democrats need to move in a more conservative direction, are you fucking kidding me? That's comical. The Democrats of today are like the Republicans in fucking 1980 on the actual policy issues. They are, uh, you know, for Wall Street deregulation, they're for um, endless war with the Republicans, so it's not, that's a bullshit narrative, but... It's, it's wonderful to finally see somebody go into their bubble and burst it and say, listen, you guys just have a fundamental misunderstanding. When somebody says they're an independent, that doesn't mean, oh, I'm permanently waffling 50-50 between the parties. No. There's a lot of people who are independents like me. I ideally would be an independent if I w- wasn't living in New York where I had to be registered as a Democrat to vote in the Democratic primaries. But does, this, does that mean, um, oh, there's a 50-50 chance Kyle will vote for a Republican or a Democrat? Who the fuck are we kidding? What a joke. No. Most independents are either left independents or a, a small percentage of them are right independents. But, again, when you go to the actual policy issues, the American people agree with a guy like Bernie Sanders, agree with the philosophy like social democracy. So Chuck Todd's understanding of politics is honestly stuck at an elementary school level. Like, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. And he will. I guarantee you they will keep reiterating the same tired old point. Why don't you just run people like who are more conservative, more centrist to win? So obviously, candidates like Claire McCaskill who lost, and Joe Donnelly who lost, and Hillary Clinton who lost. <laughs> I mean, that's really the argument. All these people who just lost and who've had, a, who've had an iron grip on the Democratic Party for all these years, why not let them run the party? Because they've been
0: running it, and they've been losing
1: endlessly. So, uh, so happy AOC burst that bubble, and... Um, I guarantee you they will not absorb that point and course-correct, because they can't. They're totally invested in this incorrect idea. And maybe it's for nefarious reasons. Maybe it's because they're part of this machine. Corporations rely on shitty right-wing Democrats to keep deregulating for them and keep giving them tax cuts. So I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit too conspiratorial of a belief, but the reality is, even though she's 100% right, This will not be digested and then regurgitated by other people in mainstream media. They're going to still insist you need more corporate right-wingers who are not popular at all in order to win in the Democratic Party. All right, got one more from that interview. So Chuck Todd asked Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez about democratic socialism, and her response here is worthy of exploring. Take a look.
6: The president spent a lot of time on using the S word, Mm, socialism and socialist. it was a not-too-subtle, um, I don't know whether it's a dig or an enhancement. I'll, I'll let you decide. I was flattered. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, you have said you are a democratic socialist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, can you be a democratic socialist and a capitalist?
5: Well, I think it depends on your interpretation. So there are some democratic socialists that would say absolutely not. There are other people that are democratic socialists that would say I think it's possible. What are you? I think it's possible. I think. Do you so. say to
6: yourself so, I'm I'm a capitalist, but?
5: I don't say that. Okay. You know, if anything, I would say I'm I believe in in a democratic economy, but.
0: Gotcha.
5: But. The butt is there. So, um, so in some ways, whether it's you're coming from say Elizabeth Warren's perspective where she says, you know, she says things like, uh, I'm a capitalist, but we need to have hard rules for the game. What does Um, the
6: private sector do better than you know that the private sector? Look, government should stay out of X because the private sector does that better.
5: Yeah, I think there's a lot of things. There's a lot of consumer goods where the private sector works. And by the way, I think it's important to delineate that just because you're in the private sector, does not you can be in the private sector and be a democratically socialist business. Worker cooperatives are a perfect example of that. Um, it's not about government takeover, it's about how much do workers have a say in your business. Do you have workers on the board? Do workers enjoy a, a, a decent amount of the wealth that they are creating? Or is the majority of these profits going to shareholders while you're paying a worker $15 an hour to live in a New York City apartment? And so that to me is the difference. It's not that public, the public sector is democratically socialist and the private sector is not. Um, it's really about a more nuanced understanding of how our economy should work.
1: Okay, so there's a lot of stuff there uh, that's good, but then there's a little point that I really wish she would say, Bernie Sanders would say, and the rest of these people would say. So, um, first of all, I like the fact that she said some stuff that placates a lot of uh, mainstream media. Now, I don't think. Let me let me be clear. I think that she's going to be smeared by the right no matter what. There are a lot of bad faith actors on the right who are just looking to get her. So they're going to take things out of context, and they're going to lie, and they're going to mislead. And that is what it is. That's par for the course. We're used to that by now. Uh, right-wing you know, commentators and grifters just totally misleading people on stuff. Um, but for people in mainstream media, they don't actively dislike Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but they don't necessarily agree with her, if that makes sense. So when she says, she was asked a very straightforward and a fair question, I think, from Chuck Todd. Hey, what? Um, so what? What's better in the private sector? Because AOC has been kind of walking this fine line between, no, 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 I'm not a socialist socialist, I'm, you know, a democratic socialist, and here's what I mean by that, and there's you know all these caveats and hedges and all this nuance and whatnot. But she says very clearly, oh, consumer goods. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's an answer that basically I give. I, I've spoken about that before. I don't want the government making video games. <laughs> video games or furniture, stuff like that. So there is a place for having a private sector. Obviously, it's supposed to be regulated. Um, and obviously, we need to have rules that make sense. But yeah, the idea of like, be totally moving beyond that, I don't necessarily agree with. And maybe that's my own problem, but I can't conceptualize. Like, I've read a lot of Noam Chomsky in my life. And he's, uh, it's fair to call him an anarcho-syndicalist or a libertarian socialist. I'm not that, and I'm not that because I simply cannot wrap my mind around the concept of what an economy like that would look like. And anytime somebody tries to explain it, it makes no sense to me. I just don't get it. Uh, when they try to explain it, I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying, man. What do you want me to tell you? And that could be because they're way smarter than me and I'm too dumb to get it. That's perfectly possible. But at the same time, it also might be that they're just honestly, they've gone too far and they don't have answers for those things. And it's like a leftism of the gaps type argument where like, oh, we don't have an answer for this thing or this thing. Well, that's okay, because I'm leftier than now, and that by definition is better. You get a little silly when you start going that far. So that's why I've always said I'm kind of a standard uh, believer in social democracy. I like to describe my ideology as either libertarian left or populist left. Um, But point is, and this is the reason we're doing this segment here, AOC kind of agrees with that. Okay? So when she says consumer goods make sense in the private sector, a pure old-school Democratic Socialist would not agree with that. Would not agree with that. Now, at the same time, she does uh, give a, an olive branch to that ideology. And she says the same thing, honestly, that I say, which is, OK, I mean, it's not like I'm not post-capitalist at all. I have little elements of post-capitalism in my philosophy. And one of those things is I would allow for worker-owned co-ops, not like I'd ban the idea of worker-owned co-ops, but I just wouldn't mandate it as if like every company has to be a worker-owned co-op. I think in some instances, some businesses would choose to continue to be traditional capitalist hierarchy with the owner and the boss and then people working underneath it. I don't think that's by definition oppressive. I know some people disagree with that, but I don't. Um, so, but that seems to be what AOC's position is too. Hey, I'm not trying to totally ban capitalism. I think that some things like consumer goods, it makes sense for it to be in the private sector, a regulated private sector. But then I also agree with ideas like worker-owned co-ops, which is technically, I guess, post-capitalist in a way. But it, it makes sense if people want to explore that road. And I totally get it. And that's what she says. So I think her, the point is the answer that she gives here should totally stop all of the smear merchants from claiming that she's a socialist full stop or even a traditional democratic socialist full stop. Because she's not those things. Now that gets to the point of slight criticism, which is, and actually this dates back to Bernie Sanders fucked this up originally. Bernie Sanders was the guy who went out there and said, I'm a democratic socialist. But then when he goes on to explain what he means by democratic socialism, he's not explaining old school democratic socialism. He's explaining social democracy. So the difference there is traditional democratic socialism is social ownership of the means of production. That's not what Bernie Sanders is talking about. That's not what AOC is talking about. So, I wish they never let the cat out of the bag in the first place and misdescribed themselves, but they did. So, now we live in an era where when somebody des- describes themselves as a democratic socialist, that doesn't, by definition, mean they believe in a post capitalist society where there's social ownership of the means of production. So, they kind of let the cat out of the bag by misdescribing themselves because really they're just standard social democrats and they describe themselves as believing in democratic socialism. Um, And I wish they didn't fuck that up, but they did fuck that up. So now I honestly think we live in a world where you can't go back as if they never described themselves as a democratic socialist. So now when some people use democratic socialism, colloquially, colloquially, hard word to say, that just means I'm a social democrat. And listen, nobody's more pissed about this than actual democratic socialists. (laughs) Who are like you're not me? Stop it! You, you're not post-capitalist. You don't believe in social ownership of all the means of production. So stop saying that. Stop saying you're a democratic socialist. Um, so my criticism is actually more of Bernie than than uh, AOC because Bernie always says he's a democratic socialist, then describes social democracy. AOC now does the same thing as Bernie. I'm a democratic socialist, but here's what that means to me. And in his, her description, it is I believe in social democracy. So I just wish that. Bernie had popularized the term social democracy, and AOC had accurately described herself as a social democrat, and Bernie had acu- accurately described himself as a social democrat, because then the right-wing smears will never, never stop. They'll always call you a socialist full stop, okay? But I honestly don't think mainstream media would have called them socialists full stop if they said, no, I believe in social democracy, and here's what that means. So I actually think they would have saved themselves a lot of trouble. Again, not from the right, because they're going to smear no matter what, but from corporate media and from mainstream media. They would not engage in those bad faith total smears. If she had described herself as a social democrat and Bernie described himself as a social democrat, I don't think you would even get these kinds of questions from the Chuck Todd's. who um, Like, what does that mean kind of thing? Are, are you post-capitalist? Because people would know that, no, you're not. So I think Bernie and AOC kind of... confused the public conversation on democratic socialism and social democracy. And I don't think that was necessarily a good thing. But now that we're in that space, we have to deal with it. And that becomes a little bit of a headache (laughs) because I've seen it myself. You know, they've they've all been smeared as fully post-capitalist, you know, and um, that's just not true. So to have to like go back to square one and explain that to everybody, no, here's what they mean by democratic uh, socialist. They don't mean traditional. They mean social democrat, blah, 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 blah. And I just think it would have been an easier fight if they said we're social democrats. Because honestly, I think that's easier to defend. And some people in my audience disagree with me. That's fine. But listen, you can't deny that I have the empirical reality on my side. I just do. That's why I, I don't need – see, that's the thing about believing in social democracy, You don't need some theory. Like, you ever talk to libertarians? Well, in theory, the thing that would work perfectly is if we did X, Y, and Z. Oh, really? Where has it been implemented and worked? (laughs) Talking to communists. Keep it real. Well, see, in theory, that wasn't true communism, because true communism is when you do blah, 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 blah. I don't need to rationalize anything. (laughs) I don't need to rationalize anything. You know what I do? Norway. Denmark. Iceland. Sweden. There. Right there. See them? They're doing it. See it? Look at all the studies, all the numbers. You know, the the empirical reality is they kick our ass on health of the middle class, self-described happiness, better healthcare systems, more uh, paid time off. The list goes on and on. So I don't need any rationalization, any "no true Scotsman" thing. It's just no, no, no. This see, it's working. See it? It's right there. It's right there. Now is that the end-all be-all? Is it impossible to improve on that? Uh, No, I think you can actually improve on those kinds of systems. But the framework is correct. Mixed market economy, socialism, capitalism, heavy regulation of the private sector, um, important rules regarding, you know, paid time off, um, parental leave, sick leave, so on and so forth. The basic framework is correct, and it's a matter of improving from within that framework. The point is, I don't need to rationalize, I don't need to justify, I don't need to apologize or explain away failures of X, Y, or Z, because it's just working, what I like. <laughs> so, And I think that that argument would have been a lot more powerful had Bernie and AOC and others, it's not just them, it's others who describe themselves as democratic socialists. TYT has done, oh, I'm a democratic socialist. No, you're not, you're social democrats, and you should have known the difference. You know. So, whatever it is what it is, got to deal with it now, but um, outside of that, I love I love the answer. I think it's very nuanced. I think it's very intelligent. And I think it's where most of the people in this new insurgent left movement, where they live. Okay. You guys are going to laugh at this next story. It's Howard Schultz, um aide, and it is a doozy. So Steve Schmidt is a Republican strategist who gave us Sarah Palin. That's the kind of genius he is and political hack he is. Um, but ever since then, he's basically been on this long apology tour where he got a job on MSNBC and he started cheerleading corporate Democrats to get back in with the cool crowd. Uh, well, now he's an advisor to Howard Schultz 2020 campaign. This is great. So he he does a podcast here. Now, this is his own podcast. And it's with Elise Jordan and Adam Levine. Not Adam Levine and Maroon 5, I don't think. <laughs> but... Um, it's the Words Matter podcast, and here's what happened when they posed him a slightly tough question on Howard Schultz's 2020 run. Listen.
4: Last week, he called a 70% tax on incomes over $10 million ridiculous from a United States congresswoman who happened to have been elected to something. Now, I know you're a guy of words, Steve, and ridiculous means deserving or inviting derision or mockery, absurd, uh, synonyms, comical, hilarious, uh, we can go on, farcical. Is that what, does, does he really mean that a tax on incomes over $10 million at 70%, which is widely popular with the American people, is ridiculous? Is that an adult conversation? Yeah, no, I think he thinks it's ridiculous, and it's confiscatory, and that it's anti-growth. That would be his point. What is, will Derek Jeter, uh, another athlete, not hit another home run because they're going to get taxed? I mean, what's the economic behavior that he thinks is anti-growth, other than his own pocket? Um, I'm, I'm not doing this. Steve, you got to answer the question. I'm not. you got to, Steve. I'm not. Unfortunately, the interview ended there. We wanted to ask Steve some serious and important questions about his new role, questions we'd gotten from our listeners, followers, colleagues, friends, and questions we had ourselves. If our tone was a bit more pointed and direct than usual, it's because this is a topic of great consequence. And these are extraordinarily dangerous times, as Steve himself has reminded us again and again over the last two years.
1: Believe it or not, I actually don't want to pick on – Steve Schmidt here because it is my sincere belief that virtually all of these overpaid strategists in DC are exactly like Steve Schmidt. They cannot defend the ideology of the people that they're strategists for. They're all grifters. I mean, it's a professional class. They think it's a job to them. And so they just go through the motions, break out that old playbook, tell them, you know, hey, here's what you say. And by the way, how bad of an advisor is uh, Steve Schmidt? Well, look at the McCain-Palin campaign. How'd that go? Um, But also, look at what Howard Schultz has been doing. He has a 4% approval rating. Four. Four. This is the strategist, the grand mastermind orchestrator of Howard Schultz's campaign. So, simply put, guys, he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. And can he defend the corporate elitist philosophy of Howard Schultz. I don't think anybody can defend that philosophy. Nobody can defend that philosophy. It is objectively a terrible philosophy for the American people. So what happens when there's just a little bit of pushback on this guy's fucking vanity tour, Howard Schitt's vanity tour? Crumbles. Immediately crumbles under just a little bit of pressure, a little bit of pushback. hey, you said, he said it's ridiculous to, to have a 70% top marginal tax rate on income over $10 million a year. So that doesn't mean all of the $10 million gets taxed at 70%. No. It means the money over that $10 million line, every dollar over the $10 million line is taxed at 70%. And that's before loopholes and deductions. So the effective rate is probably 45% like it was during the golden age of economic expansion. And by the way, he says it's anti-growth. Are you fucking kidding me? We had those rates during the golden age of economic expansion. So when our economy was growing the best it has ever grown, the top marginal rate was between 70 and 93%. So, listen, he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's getting paid. He's part of that fucking cocktail circuit in D.C., the corporate elitists. And they're in their own bubble. They can't defend it. Listen, not to toot my own horn here, but you put me on one of these shows, and they could ask, I don't care how hard the questions are on Medicare for all, free college, living wage, I will be able to directly answer every single one of them with solid arguments. Why? Because I actually believe in what I'm talking about, and I know what I'm talking about. I think fucking dipshit Steve Schmidt knows anything? No, he's been schmoozing it up on the cocktail circuit with Morning Joe for the past decade. He doesn't know dick. He doesn't know anything about what the American people want. He doesn't know anything about what the poll show. He doesn't know anything about the history of economics in this country. And he's advising the most embarrassing campaign maybe ever, maybe ever, because he's despised, he has a 4% approval rating, he's a symptom of the exact problem that gave us Donald Trump, and he thinks he's a savior at the same time. Hilariously dumb. But anyway, Steve Schmidt continues to be a joke. You shouldn't be surprised that the guy who brought out Sarah Palin indeed is a joke, and credit to Elise Jordan and Adam Levine there for asking, you know, the types of questions that all of these candidates should get and all of their advisors should get, because... Chances are most of them can't defend it. Only the actual lefties would have like really good arguments to respond. Okay. Uh oh, here we go. With the BB McGee's X.
0: I'm going to have to fix this because
1: if I don't, we will be taken off the air. Okay. That should be good for now. (laughs) Good googly moogly. Okay. So Pew Research released a new poll. Um, Some of the information is very useful and some of it is utterly useless. Now, we spoke about this a little bit before, but we're going to touch on it again here because I think it's an important conversation. So first, let's go to the general issues and... What the American people think are the most important ones. So the chart here shows um, economy, healthcare, and terrorism among top public priorities as concerns over jobs and deficit fade. So, economy, 70% say that's the most important issue. Then you have healthcare at 69%. By the way, healthcare routinely ranked as the number one issue in the past. So it's always up there by the top because our healthcare system is an abysmal disaster. Then you have terrorism at 67%, jobs down at 50%, and budget deficit at 48%. The deficit one is fascinating to me because um, the deficit's actually massively increasing, but Americans don't care about it, which is weird because whenever a Democratic president's in charge, what happens is the Republicans fearmonger over the deficit, and then the concern about deficit takes up a little bit. So it's really weird how that works. It's, It's the oldest trick in the book that the Republicans do. They massively grow the deficit by giving tax cuts to the rich when they're in office. And then when they're out of office, they turn around and blame the Democrats and go, oh, who created this deficit? You guys should really fix it. And then obviously when you try to fix it, when you try to reduce the deficit, that actually hurts private sector growth. So it's a way that they – it's a double whammy because they chastise the Dems to reduce the deficit even though they didn't cause it. And then at the same time, that could lead to the economy contracting because as a general rule, public deficits lead to, leads to private expansion. That's you know, This is like MMT 101. Um, so it's a little bit of... It's a double-edged sword. They, they find a way to get you. No matter what, they find a way to get you. Ah, deficit's so high. Why is deficit so high? Well, the private sector's growing, so I thought you cared about that, too. Yeah, but now I care about deficit because you're in charge. Reduce the deficit. Then the Democrats go to reduce deficit. The um, private sector contracts a little bit. Ah, we need jobs. Why aren't you giving us more jobs? So it's, it's, a, it's a little a clever little trick they play, and the Democrats always walk into the trap because they're Democrats. Um, <clears throat> now... The next charts I'm about to show you here are more interesting to me. So, for the Republicans, 58% say they want more conservative politicians. 38% say more moderate. Now, that's something, isn't it? In the era of Trump, the Republican's Republican, you know, a guy who throws a red meat at his base all day long. They go, yeah, more conservative, more conservative, more conservative. So the, the, the base is, they run the show on the right, the far right base. And a lot of the right-wing politicians super serve their base. And these numbers kind of reflect that. 58% more conservative, uh, 38% more moderate. Now, anybody paying attention is going to go, God damn, the Republican Party really should become more sane because they're insane right now. Well, look at the Democratic results, and then this begins to paint the picture of why this is really useless, these numbers that they gave us in this question that they asked. 53% of Democrats say they want more moderate politicians. 40% say more liberal. Now, put aside the distinction for extremely online people like us, the distinction between liberal and leftist. Just put that aside for a second. Uh, because when they say more liberal, they mean further left. Okay, but this is this poll number has been trotted out and abused and misused, and I've seen it uh, endlessly since this uh, poll was released, which was a little while ago, not too long ago, but a little while ago. And so now you have people going around saying, "Oh, the Democrats' problem is Democrats have gone too far left, and they need to be more moderate to be in line with the American people." Now you guys are know the answer to this, and we spoke about it recently, but. Um, that is incredibly misleading, and here's why. People do not know labels at all. So when Democrats say, oh, yeah, we want more moderate um, politicians and not more liberal politicians, what does it mean to be more moderate? Have they defined their terms? No, they haven't defined their terms. They just say it, and people interpret it differently. So we've talked about it before on the show, man, but the most recent polls – 70% of the American people want Medicare for all. 58% of the American people want free college. Only 17% still want to be in Afghanistan. 62% want to legalize marijuana. 70% want to raise taxes on people making over $10 million a year, top marginal rate to become 70%. 59% just want to broadly raise taxes on the rich. When we go issue for issue, gun violence is another one. 90% want universal background checks. The position that is objectively further left is more popular. So I have zero use for polls that just talk about labels without defining the labels. Because, and the best example of this is Bernie Sanders in the 2016 election. He won the Midwest, and he won among Democrats who self described as more conservative. If you know politics, you're going to say, hold on now, that's a contradiction. Bernie is literally further left than Hillary was, and than any other candidate was in the Democratic primary. So how could the guy who's furthest left win people who self-describe as more conservative? The answer is, again, people don't know labels. So they think that, oh, yeah, I'm conservative. Do you agree with Medicare for all? Yeah. Do you agree with free college? Yeah. Do you agree with a living wage? Yeah. Do you agree with card check for unions? Yeah. Do you agree with ending the wars? Yeah. Um, And the list goes on and on. Raising tax on the rich? Yeah. So people can call themselves whatever they want to call themselves. But in terms of when you walk them through it, hey, here's a political test. Who do you agree with more? People who self-describe as more conservative often come out libertarian-left. So just know that. So this poll is useless and it's being misused by many voices to try to push this narrative that, oh, my God, the far left is crazy and the lunatics run the asylum. And that's nonsense. And also there's this conflation in today's day and age that annoys the shit out of me because it's not true, where people conflate further left with more social justice warrior, okay? Here's the reality about that. Social justice warrior, which is, you know, the people who are typically saying, oh, I don't want to allow these conservative speakers on my campus because I don't agree with what they say, so we're going to try to protest them to make sure they can't speak, okay, that's the crowd that's generally understood as and described as social justice warrior. It has a pejorative connotation. They don't mean like Martin Luther King-style, so, uh, you know, social justice warrior, somebody who's actually fighting for necessary change. They mean like oversensitive college kids who are censorious and authoritarian. So, but that's the point: is when somebody is a, a, an SJW, that means that they're more authoritarian not further left wing. There's a giant difference there, which is why that quadrant political spectrum is so important because it it more accurately reflects reality. So when somebody is social justice warrior-y, they are more authoritarian. But people are now conflating that with, oh, further left means more social justice warrior. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't at all. (laughs) Further left, I mean, we're talking about economics. That means they make sense, like they want Medicare for all and free college and a living wage. That's what that means. So we need to stop conflating further left with more social justice warrior-ish, because that's not accurate. If you want to go after social justice warriors, and I actually do on this show because I don't agree with authoritarianism, you have to go after the authoritarians. You don't go after the libertarian left. You don't go after the populist left. You don't go after social democrats. So there's a lot of uh, confusion in terms, and it's misleading, and it gives people a fundamentally incorrect understanding of politics, And it needs to be corrected. Okay, now, I seem to have lost my pen. That's weird. Anyway, Fox News is going to defend the rich come hell or high water, and it's kind of funny. So let me play that clip for you. So I have an incredible compilation here of Fox hosts losing their minds over the prospect of raising taxes on the rich. Check this out.
2: of voters approve of raising tax rates for families making over $10 million a year. It's an emotional and irrational appeal that amounts to redistribution if it actually worked.
6: They resent wealth. And if you've got it, they want it. It's a war on the
1: wealthiest. It's a war on wealthy,
6: They don't like wealth.
4: There is what seems to be a movement against capitalism in this country. So we're explicitly taxing wealth production
6: exactly the miracle that American capitalism allows. Isn't demonizing the rich an attack on the American? Dream. But there's a racial element to this. What they're really trying to use tax tax policy as a social justice uh, tool. There is no tax that is more vulgar in my mind
4: than the death tax. It's the most anti family, anti human tax. Is jealousy
6: of, uh, I, I of think wealthy people I, the I, God
2: help you if you find success in the new world, even if capitalism is still marginally more popular, socialism has a better e- PR team. And when it gains a foothold, They're coming to neuter your golden nuggets.
6: They hate Trump and can't tolerate any success. So let's please jump the taxes up and let's kill the economy and put people back on the welfare rolls and get them off those nasty jobs they're getting. Why is this form of socialism, this grab bag of take money off the rich, why is it so popular? These socialists hate successful people. The idea of fairness has been promoted in our schools for a long time and we're starting to see kids who grew up in this notion that fairness above all to have controlled academia so long that they have indoctrinated people coming up through the education system, that there's something really wrong with people who've been successful. That's what Howard Schultz is battling right now. Americans writ large have been brainwashed in schools now for decades, but we've never seen it. To Gary's point, we've never seen this explicit hatred for success. We have a real economic ignorance going on in America. The rich
3: cause the problems, the rich owe society, inequality is the issue, and we have got to tax the wealth to remedy it. That's It's not going to get America anywhere but the poorhouse.
6: The Democrats have got a new uniform they're all supposed to wear. It's ski masks and carrying blue steel revolvers because they all believe that instead of robbing 7-Elevens, they're just going to rob everybody who has a job, everybody who's making wages.
1: Okay. That was awesome. Um, Hold on, let me change my little behind me, my graphic. There we go. Fox News graphic. Much better. So that was great. Um, listen, this debate is happening in bad faith. Okay? Uh, they lie. They mislead. They frame things in a way that's either delusional or I don't know a better word for it than delusional. <laughs> I want to break down everything they argued there because you see the absurdity of it when you go through it with a fine tooth comb. So, first of all, one of the hosts, Kennedy, I think her name is, she's very libertarian leaning. Um, she described the idea of raising taxes on the rich as, quote, irrational. Okay, you see, you have to actually provide an argument for that, and she didn't do it. Now, I would make the counterpoint. The counterpoint is no, it's actually irrational to keep the system the way it is or to do what honestly is her ideal, which is cut taxes on the rich. And I'm going to pull up a fact here real quick. I have it in my um, in my likes on Twitter because a new study just came out on this, but here you go, the richest 0.00025% owns more wealth than the bottom 150 million Americans. We have one family, the Waltons, which is six people, the heirs to Walmart. They have more wealth than the bottom 45% of Americans combined. Okay, there was another study that came out, not that long ago, and I'm scrolling to this one, too. This one's also in my likes on Twitter. Um, Thomas uh, Piketty, who's a, an economist, roughly 60% of America's wealth is inherited, meaning most of America's riches are owned by people who did not work for them. So it's so funny, the narrative that these guys come up with for people who are getting like $1.35 for a meal for their kids okay, they scold those people and say they're parasites and they're moochers and they need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Meanwhile, when 60% of America's wealth is inherited from mama and papa, inherited from rich mommy and daddy, who may or may not have done something, and given to these spoiled-ass kids, they want to give those kids a tax break. They're going to inherit millions no matter what, but they want to make sure they inherit more millions, maybe even billions. Yes! Yes! (laughs) this is crazy they literally attack the so called death tax they call it the death tax that's not even the name the name is the estate tax why it only hits people with fucking estates it only hits like .02% of the American public it's for people if you have over 11 million dollars in net worth that's when it kicks in so most people aren't going to fucking feel that but they defend it as if they're defending like small farmers listen Fox News is not here to defend regular people the, the, the Republicans are not the party of the working class. That's not to say Democrats are good on those issues because they're not. But Republicans are way worse. And uh, Fox News is misleading people into thinking, oh, yeah, we're for the little guy. Listen to their fucking arguments. These policies that AOC is pushing for, that Bernie Sanders are pushing for, the raising taxes on the rich, that absolutely would benefit regular people. But they frame it as if that's not the case. Um, they go on and call it a war on the wealthy. Are you fucking kidding me? Again, flip the oppression narrative all day long. That's what these guys do. Oh, it's a war on the wealthy. The wealthy, billionaires, corporations, have pumping money into lobbying since the 1980s and have basically bought our government to the point where it functions more like an oligarchy than a representative democracy in a constitutional republic. And a Princeton study showed... That's the reality, that we function more as an oligarchy. If you're a part of the donor class, you get what you want. Regular people don't get what they want. And they flip that narrative as if, oh, it's a war on the wealthy, as opposed to the, the rich waging a war on us, because wages have been stagnant since the 1980s. Um, they even go on to say it's a war on the American dream. Here's why that is particularly annoying, because a study came out about a year and a half ago or two years ago. Canada now is better on the issue of social mobility, economic mobility, than the U.S. is. Canada is further left on the political spectrum, they're much more social democratic, and you're much more likely to climb the economic ladder in Canada. So Canada now beats us on the measure of the American dream, as these guys say, oh, these lefties are waging a war on the American dream. No, actually, if anything, it's the right-wing politicians waging a war on the American dream. It's that philosophy, it's that ideology, it's the wealthy waging class warfare on regular people. They're the ones who are against the American dream. Because somebody like me, and I, I believe in social democracy, what I'm pushing for is equal opportunity, not equal outcomes. What I'm pushing for is, hey, how do we make it so that people have a shot? How do we make it so that you know, a kid born in, in the middle of Harlem to a single mother isn't guaranteed to not make it, while Mitt Romney's son is guaranteed to always make it? So that's what I'm here to do. That's why you need Medicare for All and free college and a living wage, because you need to give people equal opportunity. Uh, then they say Democrats are anti-success. Look at their definition of success. Billions of dollars, which, by the way, no human being will actually ever be able to spend in a single lifetime. It's obscene when you have that amount of money. At the same time, 45,000 people die because they don't have health care. 29 million people don't have health insurance. Uh, we live in a country where 76% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Half of workers make $30,000 a year or less. And that's how they define success. They define the billionaires. Allow billionaires to exist or multi, multi, uh, 100 millionaires to exist. I mean, this is crazy. What? Well, uh, The idea that people on the left are like, we're anti-anybody getting rich. No, of course we're fine with people getting rich, but it's a matter of degree. What makes sense and what is absolutely fucking insane when we live in a country with child poverty and child hunger? Uh, And finally, uh, Huckabee hilariously argued, oh, the Democrats want to get these people off the nasty jobs that they're getting. As if, oh, the Democrats are all for people being parasites and moochers and not working and getting money. No, you guys support that. I just described to you 60% of America's wealth is inherited, meaning these spoiled-ass kids don't work and they just get mommy and daddy's money. But, and you're in favor of them getting it. So maybe you're the one who's pro moocher and pro-parasite. Ever thought of that? And finally, it's hilarious because uh, many people on the left have been, people on the right have gone after people on the left because some on the left have said, oh, we want to uh, write to a job, just like FDR proposed. So right to a job, meaning the left is saying we are pro-job and people getting jobs, and idiot fucking Mike Huckabee's like, these guys are against people getting jobs. Really, Mike Huckabee? So do you support a right to a job? No, you don't. You don't. These guys, they're they're like insultingly stupid. And then, of course, the clip that we saw before, anti-fairness. You have Fox hosts who are literally arguing against fairness. And by the way, here's why they're melting – Um, they're melting down because even their own poll showed 70% of Americans want to raise the top marginal rate for people over $10 million. They want to make that 70%. So when even the Fox News audience is like, yeah, that's a good idea, that's why they're in full-on meltdown defense mode and they're coming across as the idiots that they are. Okay. So, this video that I'm about to show you blew up on Twitter for all the right reasons. Uh, I've never seen such a powerful argument for raising taxes on the rich. This is from Now This, and I believe it's the Louis Vuitton toilet.
2: the toilet, there's also uh, Louis Vuitton hardware and the gold, and it's all throughout the whole art piece. So every single part of it, you take these one-of-a-kind pieces and create a different one-of-a-kind piece.
1: in a world that has that, at the same time, we have uh, 76% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck. Imagine disagreeing with raising the top marginal tax rate. Imagine that. Listen, I think there's a perfectly reasonable debate to be had in terms of where that line is. Like, okay, should we tax income $1 million a year, that top marginal rate? Make it 70%. Now, again, that doesn't include loopholes and deductions and all that stuff, and you have to factor that in. But I think people have this weird idea that, like, oh, my God, that's, you're taking away people's ability to be rich. $1 million a year? In any, any county in the United States, you are massively wealthy with that money. That's top 1% money. So where is the line? I think AOC was actually very lenient when she said income over $10 million a year, that top marginal rate being 70%. So every dollar above 10 million gets taxed at 70%. But again, that's before loopholes and deductions. If you make the policy today similar to what it was during the golden age of economic expansion, even when that rate was like 90%, the top marginal rate, the effective rate was like 45%. So it'll probably be the same thing now, even if we were to go back to those rates, because you got to keep the loopholes and deductions and whatnot. But You know, listen, there's a reason why 70% of Americans agree with AOC's proposal. Because people get that raising taxes on the rich makes sense. And by the way, I think people also now get that every other developed nation has a progressive tax system, and it includes higher marginal rates on the rich. And the reality is, guys, there's so much misleading shit about this because those people will still be massively rich. Massively rich. It's just a matter of not being, like, obscenely wealthy to the point where, you know whatever. We just covered the numbers in a previous segment, but 0.00025% of the population has more wealth than the bottom 150 million Americans, uh, or 60% of the wealth wouldn't be inherited. That's what we have right now. So mommy and daddy are rich, and they just pass it down to their kids, and it's uh, you know they get millions, no questions asked. So I'm in favor of increasing the estate tax. I'm in favor. You know what? Watching this segment, it made me think of a luxury tax, like a luxury item tax. So if you want to buy like a fucking, you know, $300,000 Ferrari or some shit, okay, well, there's a a luxury item tax. If you can afford a $350,000 Ferrari, chances are, you know, whatever, you got $200 million in the bank and you're massively wealthy and you could afford like a 50% tax on that shit. If you want to buy a Louis Vuitton gold toilet, first of all, fuck you. Second of all... (laughs) Attack that motherfucker, are you kidding me? We're, you can, on on the left, if you believe in social democracy, the way to sum that up perfectly is, oh, we allow for people to get rich. There's no problem with that at all. Not obscenely wealthy, though, especially when we live in a country where 45,000 people die because they don't have health care, where uh, you know half of workers make $30,000 a year or less, where we have an infrastructure that gets a grade of D+, where we have the, the resurgence of hookworm in rural Alabama because it's such extreme poverty. By the way, people went after AOC because she said it's a uh, ringworm. What she meant to say was hookworm, so I don't know why people were doing like a gotcha on her. Obviously, she just meant hookworm. Um, it's a third-world disease, and we have it in the U.S. because of the conditions in, in many places. So, yeah, it's time to have this debate now. Social democracy, raising taxes on the rich, providing for the common good, health care, education, basic things like that. I mean, really, we should be legitimately offended by the idea of something like a fucking Louis Vuitton toilet existing. And we've seen the gold burgers and shit. Get the fuck out of here, man. Uh, Again, am I going to ban these things? No, because I'm not an authoritarian. But am I going to tax the people who have the spare cash to buy some shit like this? Yes, and you should want to do that, too. Okay. Now I gotta give you one more Fox News. I gotta give you one more Fox News story and then we'll finish up with a story on psilocybin mushrooms. Joe Rogan would be proud of me covering psilocybin mushrooms, wouldn't he?
0: <laughs>
1: okay. Gotta get my graphic right for this. So this is absolutely hilarious. A Fox News host is gonna say the most Fox News thing you've ever heard in your life in casual conversation.
6: A short time ago, and Pete had two more slices, sitting right next to him. He was off camera. Yeah,
5: yeah. It's a real thing. He's, he's been. It's still really good. Just similar. for viewers to know, this is yesterday's pizza <laughs> that he's just pulling out. right there. The, it's not even. Yesterday okay.
6: was National Pizza Day, which means it's National Pizza Weekend, which means. Pizza Hut lasts
2: for a long time. ate okay, Pizza Hut yesterday and raw dough.
5: So basically anything that's not nailed down, you got to just take the take the mugs off the table. He might take As the I told you, my 2019
6: resolution is to say things on air that I say off air. I don't think I've washed my hands for 10 years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> really, I don't, I, I
6: don't really wash my Someone hands.
0: help ever. me.
2: No, oh, help that, no I, I inoculate myself. Uh, germs oh, yeah, are not a real yeah, thing. Too. I can't see them. Therefore, they're not. Breathing. So you're becoming immune to all of the all of the exactly. bacteria. I can't yeah. get sick. My dad has that theory too. I'm not even. Trying to it. find a way to move on, but actually,
6: <laughs> friends at foxnews.com. Yes. please comment on that because I feel please. like you can get some viewer reaction. Yes. I, look at these hands; look pretty clean to me.
5: Would you eat pepperoni? We <laughs> want to know. Of
6: course, yeah, of course. and the meantime, here, folks, sorry for roasting you out on this Sunday. A lot of news breaking over.
1: Yeah, I I don't know if he's kidding. I hesitated to cover this because it sounds like he's just joking around, uh, and it's very possible he's joking around. But the thing that pushed me over the top was when uh, the female host said, oh, my dad actually has that theory. Because then I was like, okay, whether or not this Fox News host means that, and he might, I don't know, or he could just be totally joking. I believe her that her father has that theory, and I believe that there are plenty of people who do have that theory. And number one, that's terrifying But number two, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of one of my favorite facts about Donald Trump, which is he said, um, exercising is bad for you. And when people pressed him on it, I said, what are you talking about? Why would you say that? What what do you mean? He said, well, listen, your body's like a battery. And so you want to preserve the energy by doing as little as possible. And then, you know, the more shit you do, the more you're spending that energy, and then you're going to die sooner. And he actually believes that. And by the way, that was, a, that was an idea. That was like a medieval idea where people thought that was the case. Turns out, obviously, the opposite is true, that the more you work out, the more health, the healthy you are, the more you extend your life. Um, but he, he believes the opposite. Now, I love that fact because it shows he's fucking dumb, like he's such a goddamn idiot, like just such a total moron, like unbelievably stupid. But also because, it, I wish that was true. <laughs> I spoke about this on Kyle and Corin a while ago, but I wish that was true, because then you wouldn't feel bad if you live a sedentary lifestyle, and you're like, I don't want to work out, fuck this, I don't want to fucking get up, and you just lay there in your goddamn recliner, and you eat some chips, and you watch fucking History Channel shit, you're just like, oh, this is great, I enjoy this. But you have to feel bad about doing that, because you know you're supposed to exercise, you know that's good for you, you know that'll extend your life. But I, I, I actually like the fact that Trump has convinced himself and probably sincerely believes it, that, yeah, working out is bad for you, and it's good that I don't do shit. That's awesome, but it's also terrifying that that guy is the president of the United States and the most powerful man in the world. But I don't know. You guys tell me uh, in the comments section, is Peter Hegseth, is he joking or is he serious? I have, I have, here's my, my guess. My guess is he is. He's kind of serious, like he really means it. Like, no, I seriously don't wash my hands. Uh, But he's also trying to be like lighthearted about it and funny about it and turn it into a joke to give himself plausible deniability. where if somebody pushes him on it later, he's like, I was just kidding about that. That's my guess, but I think he actually means it. So it's pretty funny. Alright, final story about Mushrooms Beach. So here's an interesting story. Denver Elections tweeted this out. After reviewing signatures submitted by the Denver Psilocybin Mushroom Decriminalization Initiative, It has been determined that they submitted a sufficient number of valid signatures, and the question will appear on the May 7, 2019 municipal election ballot. So in other words, uh, Denver is going to vote to decriminalize magic mushrooms. Now, I need everybody to understand that decriminalization is not the same as legalization. So decriminalization means just that. You're not going to get thrown in a cage because you're caught with mushrooms or maybe even selling mushrooms. That's all that means. Legalization means, okay, not only are you not going to get locked up, but we're going to allow, uh, you know, selling it as a basic business practice. Now, they're not saying it will be a legal business practice if this passes. They're just saying you won't get locked up. So there's a difference between decriminalization and legalization, and people need to understand that they're, those are two separate things. But, I mean, obviously I think this would be a step in the right direction. But I have to say, I'm a little skeptical as to whether or not... Like, I think that if you put legalizing marijuana up for a vote in basically anywhere around the country now, it'll pass. Uh, As long as there's not a giant lobbying effort against it where they lie and all that stuff, and that happens sometimes. But uh, assuming a fair framing of the question and not insane lobbyist money pouring it on the opposite side, guaranteed legalizing marijuana passes anywhere in the country. Now we've opened the door a little further to magic mushrooms, and I don't know if the public is going to be as open-minded on this one because yeah magic mushrooms it's a psychedelic drug it's a hallucinogenic drug and you know i think it's a common feeling people have myself included by the way in terms of my personal preference for substances but the ones that actually literally change your consciousness in a way that's like tangible in terms of seeing shit that's not there and whatnot those are a little scarier man it's one thing to have drugs that are uppers or downers um, that just changes your mute mood. Hey, uh, I'm really high and energetic. Hey, I'm really relaxed and mellow. Like those are uppers and downers and kind of traditional drugs. But when you talk about hallucinogenics and psychedelics, it's like, damn, playing with reality. Now, let me be clear. Do I support decriminalizing this? Absolutely. But I'm just saying my personal bias is that the, these are in a different category than the other drugs. Um, and I don't fare well with with these kinds of drugs, uh, even mildly, like weed is like mildly psychoactive and even that gets me going like, whoa, what the fuck's happening? Uh, I get very paranoid when I smoke marijuana. Um, But, I hope this passes and I hope this starts a trend of, at the very least, decriminalizing these drugs. Even though these aren't, you know, my kind of drugs, I I would still legalize them because I think they should be legal. Um, And also, let's be clear that there's a lot of evidence coming out now about how various psychedelic drugs including mushrooms for people who are in hospice and are on death's door basically when you give them these psychedelic experiences it really does take away their fear of death and makes them happy because so many people might even be over a majority though don't quote me on that of people get depressed when they're about to die which is only the most understandable and reasonable feeling ever you're about to die and you're going to be sad anybody would be for sure i'd be depressed as a motherfucker so um I think it's only right to allow these people to, okay, whatever you want to try. You want to try fucking magic mushrooms? You want to try LSD? You want to try fucking ayahuasca? I don't give a fuck. You want to do cocaine? You want to do crystal meth? Here, how about it? So um, I think this is a good thing. It's a step in the right direction. But honestly, my early guess is that it's not going to pass because we still have a lot to do in terms of raising awareness, raising consciousness on this, and explaining to people that it should be allowed. Um, and it should definitely be decriminalized. But I'm not sure it's going to pass, but I hope it does, and I'm happy somebody in this country is now taking that first step. So a lot of credit to Denver. I think Denver is really leading the way here. Okay. We are done, bitch. Hope everybody enjoyed the show. I enjoyed uh, delivering it. Love you guys. I'll talk to you on the next show. Everybody enjoy the rest of your day. I'm out. Peace.